1: Welcome to the Lorehounds Oscar Prep Series. I'm your host, David.
0: And I'm Alicia, the watcher of all the movies. It's honestly gone too far. Please send help. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Blink three times if you. <laughs> Today we're going to kick off our Oscar Prep Series with part one the headliners.
0: Check out our short teaser for an overview of what to expect from this series. But basically today we're getting started with what are generally considered to be the biggest awards, starting with the 10 Best Picture nominees, one at a time, and then a brief look at the acting, directing, and writing categories. But it's not just
1: us you'll be hearing from. We've called in voices from the Lorehounds community and beyond to talk about the films and categories they're most passionate about. So you can expect some new people to pop up with their thoughts throughout our coverage.
0: And we want to hear your thoughts as well. How are you feeling about this award season? Uh, What you've heard on this podcast? Any other films from this year you think should be getting more attention? Email us all of your feedback. Just head over to thelorehounds.com and use the contact form or the voicemail feature there. Uh, We also have a fun active Discord community, and we'd love for you to join. Links in the show notes.
1: The email you can use is lorehounds at thelorehounds.com. Also, for ad-free versions of this and all of our podcasts, check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. I'll share more about the Patreon as well as our uh, upcoming programming schedule at the end of the podcast.
0: Also, we'd be forever grateful if you could help us get more ears tuned into this special series. Please pass this episode along to anyone else you think would appreciate some Oscar intel, or just leave a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening. It really helps more people find us.
1: Alicia, this is the, we're coming to the moment of all of your efforts and work. Uh, thanks so much for putting all this together. I'm looking at our outline. It's a yeah. lot going on. Do you This have is a, the
0: biggest a, episode of the series for sure. Yeah. For
1: sure. Do you have a total count? Because you're not just watching Oscars. You're doing BAFTAs and a, and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. What's your movie count
0: up to now? I mean just for the award season alone it's over 150 but I've been watching them throughout the year you know so yeah, I've yeah. I'd already watched 83% of the Oscar nominees by the time they were nominated so it was easy wow. to finish that off um and yeah it's uh it, it's I, I love film I, I it's I love these looks into other people's minds into other places into yeah. other cultures you know very uh, cool and this is an exciting year for for that, for having like a wider variety of windows to look through.
1: Sure. I was talking to my spouse uh, about this podcast and what we were doing. And I, and I mentioned to her this, uh, death racer thing. She's like, mm-hmm. why do they call them death racers? I <laughs> am like, "Well, yeah. oh. <laughs> I didn't really know. I was like,
0: Maybe because, because you, watch you things watch things all things of the films or, things you, things or things you die
1: trying. <laughs> right. I got it. Uh, that's wild. Um, and, uh, how are the death racers doing out there? Uh, is everybody having a good time?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, the most serious amongst us have long since done all the Oscars. So we've moved on to, you know, the other categories, the short list for the Oscar nominees, the long list for the BAFTAs, things like that. Um, And we have our own uh, Academy of Death Racers Deathies ceremony the night before the Oscars. So we have to watch those nominees as well, which is why I've been watching all of the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh. And I, lo- I like them more than I expected, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you go in for the family drama stuff?
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I love a good uh, found family story.
1: All right. Yeah, it is all about that, too. Oh, it's all yeah. about that. Awesome. All right. Well, do you want to set us up for our best picture 10 and uh how we're going to work this and in, in what folks can expect from the podcast?
0: Yeah. So... um this is not going to be any deep movie dives. This is going to be spoiler-free pr- previews and reviews. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk through the best motion picture of the year. So, um, David, which of these have you seen of the uh, nominated 10? You've seen a good number.
1: Yeah. Oh, Ooh, I, uh, where's that? What's that website? I signed up for it. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. It's oscarsdeathrace.com. So listeners right. at home might find that useful as well. Um, you can get an overview of, All the nominees, check off the ones you've seen, see them by category. And if you want to get a little more deep into the statistics, then go to deathracetracking.com is the other one.
1: Got it. Uh, Yeah. So I'm looking at my, I, I signed up for an account so I could kind of help myself keep track. And at the time of watching this, I've seen four of the 10. Okay and uh i'm intending to see oppenheimer i've just gotten delayed on on watching that i was debating whether i wanted to sign up for yet another streaming
0: service or not which is
1: you know (laughs) because i was looking video on demand too yeah it's true and then i was debating that I was like well the video on demand price is the same as the the streamer month price but then i was using our you know for patreon uh subscribers we have a big show tracker thing that i put together it's kind of a giant database and so i was lo- using that to look at by platform what's coming up on uh, on that platform and there's nothing else on that platform then i was like oh i don't really want to you know sign up right. again and then churn it out. So then I was debating the the, the yeah. whole, like, do I pay for they
0: it? They got to start bundling these things better. I mean, it's actually coming, the, the streamer coming. Peacock is uh, in a bundle with Paramount Global and Showtime and a British streamer called Sky here, and it's called Sky Showtime. And okay. I'm waiting for that to hit the US, but
1: right, yeah, you guys right. still have
0: a separate Hulu, so. yeah,
1: <laughs> And Hulu seems to be, anyway, let's not get into yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. streaming yeah. thing, so. <laughs> So the ones that I have, I've seen American fiction, Killers, Maestro, and Barbie, and I'll be watching uh, Oppenheimer uh, before long. And so Past Lives, Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Holdovers, and Anatomy are all ones that I'm just, I'm not even sure what they are when they came out, all right. to be honest. Well, you
0: have so come I'm to I'm the right UV place.
1: Very
2: cool.
0: All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, when from someone who has been tracking the season more or less, um, I have to say that the other categories contained surprises when the nominations came out, but the best pictures pretty much fell in line with expectations going okay. into the announcements. So there's four films dominating overall. Um, we're going to be discussing each of the films in descending order of uh, how many nominations they got. You know? Okay, so that's a good way to if if. Yep. You know, you want to watch the most nominated films, those are the ones we'll be talking about first. Uh, So the four films that are dominating are Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Barbie. Uh, So we're going to start with those four and then we're going to take a break. We'll come back with the other six best pictures and then uh, take a second break. And after that, we'll look uh, quickly at the other headliner awards, acting, directing, and writing.
1: Great. And then we've got a number of voicemails.
0: Yeah. Uh, worked worked throughout as we talk about the different things. There are people right. who had passionate opinions. Well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun little project because we got to bring in some, uh, as we said in the intro, some more community voices. So we'll set those up as, as we go. Okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, should we get started?
0: Yeah, great. So we're going to start with Oppenheimer because that is the most nominated film of the year, probably the one that's going to take the big prize. Um, It's probably going to do very well Oscar night. And so for the best picture prizes, the producers are the ones who get the actual Oscar. So I'll be listing the producers for each film and for that. For this film, it's Emma Thomas, Charles Roven, and Christopher Nolan. And uh, the plot is that J. Robert Oppenheimer leads the team that develops the atomic bomb during World War II. You guys probably already know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was some, you probably heard, there was some Japanese controversy surrounding this, the fact that that viewpoint isn't represented, but that does seem to have died down, and they finally set a release date in Japan of March 29th, so almost a year after release in most places. But, um... Interesting. Interesting. I, so the,
1: they, 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 wow. Okay. So, so it's not gone wide in, in Japan.
0: No, it, it's not been released in theaters, not until March 29th. Okay. So nice. after the Oscars. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that, but I also understand that this is, um, you're seeing this, it's very much from the perspective of two characters who are Americans and kind of part of the point is that to them, Japan was this distant, um, this, you know, they didn't yeah. have as much empathy because they didn't connect with it, with the fact right, that there was the people the just like them there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this they, is the story of
1: the development, not the, mm-hmm. the, the utilization. Okay.
0: Right. Well, but, but we do see, uh, some aftermath in terms oh, okay. of grappling. Right, um, right, right. but yeah, so this one's been nominated for 13 different categories. Wow. Uh, Today we're going to talk about Best Picture, Best Actor, Killian Murphy, Best Supporting Actress, Emily Blunt, Best Supporting Actor, Robert Downey Jr., Best Director, Christopher Nolan, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And then in part three of this series, we'll dive into score, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, production design, sound, film editing, and uh, cinematography. So... this is yeah that's that's the uh yeah we'll we'll talk about each of these a bit more as we get to those categories
1: (laughs) wow so it's a it's a real two to force here
0: yeah this is this is the knockout film of the year Uh, okay yeah um nobody expected it to do as well as it did in the box office it got 955 million worldwide on a hundred million budget um lots of you know stayed in IMAX for ages uh, it really defied expectations for like a long talky movie about physics with you know granted it has a big explosion and some naked people um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to we've got to also give the Barbenheimer marketing phenomenon credit here too I think
1: yeah that's interesting I wonder how well this would have done without the twinning of uh, Barbenheimer it's still Christopher
0: Nolan but yeah
1: yeah. I mean, he's going to draw no matter what. And what I thought was interesting was long after the summer boom, it was still active in theaters and and people were still going to see it. Uh, so it had a really long tail uh, for, for, for quite a while. So yeah, that, that's exactly. it, that
0: says something about a film, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Especially in definitely- this
1: day and age where we want we'll just drop it on streaming and I'll just, I'll just do it there. Right. Uh, The fact that people were still getting out to the theaters and physically seeing it on the big screen, that that's something that's really something.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think um, that has a lot to do with also, it was a movie that people were told you have to see this in the theater. So it's actually, it's biggest snub in the nominations is it didn't get VFX. Okay. But, but I, he, so Christopher Nolan decided instead of doing a computer graphic, um you know mushroom clouds mm-hmm. what we think of with a nuclear explosion to do a practical explosion and i have to say from my perspective i was like that's just a man who wants to blow things up in the desert <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't look like a nuclear expo- explosion to me so i would have preferred the cgi personally but i i'm don't don't come after me if you feel differently <laughs> i respect <laughs> right, your right. opinion right.
1: <laughs> um, well we have such a a uh, there's so much cultural history around the mushroom cloud shape. And, you know, that, that is, um, I mean, are all, yeah, I don't want I don't know the physics of them. It's always going to, it might be a little bit different. There's a lot of variations in, in that. So, but whatever, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to talk about mushroom clouds. Per se. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, of course, it has like a phenomenal cast. Um, Sure. And at first I was kind of distracted by how many celebrities are in one movie, but then I was really grateful because there's so many characters and it helps you keep them straight. Interesting. Uh, But there's a lot of people who obviously really love this film, and we asked one of them, Danny, to send his thoughts in. Great. So he made a voicemail for us.
1: Okay. Let's play that now.
0: Hey,
3: guys. uh, I just want to start by thanking Alicia for... Introducing me to the Oscar death race, my movie watching has fallen off a lot in recent years, and it really inspired me to watch some things I otherwise wouldn't have. I've gone from 4% watched at the time of the nominations to about 60% right now. Uh, quick disclaimer, I haven't watched Poor Things or Zone of Interest yet, but uh, I'm definitely going with Oppenheimer for Best Picture, just slightly ahead of Past Lives in American Fiction. Uh, I'm a Christopher Nolan fan, and this is certainly a Christopher Nolan movie through and through. So I love everything that comes with that as far as production quality. It's got great visuals, sound, all of that. It's what we would expect at this point from Christopher Nolan. I tend to gravitate to fantasy, sci-fi genre stuff over real-world stories more often when it comes to entertainment, so I was uh, pleasantly surprised that it really gave me almost more Inception vibes than it did, you know, say, Dunkirk vibes, maybe not the best example because Dunkirk's a great movie, but just sticking with Nolan. Um, I really love the parts where it showed what people are thinking by the on-screen visuals you know, that only they saw and like the explosions and all the dead people that he saw throughout the movie and uh, his wife imagining him having sex with the other woman. Uh, it really, it could have used more of that stuff in my opinion, but that was a really standout part. Not being an American, I didn't really realize, or maybe I just didn't think about how their obsession with communism was such a big thing before and during World War II. So that was really interesting to me. It was Infuriating that it was such a big deal to them while the world was potentially about to be lost to fascism. Uh, All of the performances were great. I think Gillian Murphy's an absolute lock for Best Actor, even though I think it's a pretty solid year for the category. All five of them were really quite good this year. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, all of them were excellent. I would have maybe given a supporting actress nod to Florence Pugh over Emily Blunt, honestly, but... Both were really good. Uh, as an aside, I think I have Jodie Foster winning that category. Uh, just an excellent performance in NIAID, a movie I didn't even like. Um, I started watching this movie super late at night. Uh, thought I'd just watch half of it and pick it up the next day because it's really long, but I was hooked right from the start, uh, glued to the screen, and never felt tired, never felt like pressing stop. Uh, just thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, that's my pick. Thanks. So,
0: um, yeah, did you, uh, anything you picked up in there, David, you found interesting? Yeah,
1: I think one of the things that kept me out of the theater was the runtime that, Uh you know, as a, you know, part of a family to take that chunk of time, because it's not just the time that you're sitting in the theater, but, you know, getting to the theater, coming back, all of that that uh, I just couldn't devote <laughs> that much time. And I was like, okay, well, let me watch it at home. Also, just, you know, you, you want to stretch, you want to uh, uh, not be sort of physically challenged. And so hearing that Danny is saying that he watched it right through without a problem, that, that says something for a movie with that kind of runtime. Uh, and that it's not, that there's a, what I'm also picking up is the human drama that's embedded in this overall story. So right. it's not just a, a nerdy engineering movie but there's some <laughs> it sounds like some uh personal relationship stuff
0: going on in there's there. There's so. one in particular that's at the well I mean yeah there's personal relationship sure with with his uh wife and um and lover but right. there's and then there's a, another relationship that's more the center of the movie with Robert Downey Jr's character. Interesting. Okay.
1: And I think I could see that having that like you were saying that having that many stars in it um, I don't know. Is is leaven's the right word, or or keeps it? I, I don't want to. I, I want to well, use just the like dry pie. It's like a
0: lot pie. of Leo pointing meme. Yeah,
1: sure, exactly. Yeah. And and sometimes something like this could be dry pie, right? And you're like,
0: oh god. It, so I, it, I found it to be dry pie. It's it's my least favorite of the, <laughs> the best picture <laughs> movies. But so that's why I'm glad we got people who love it speaking up. <laughs>
1: For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to watching it. And, uh, I just have to get over myself about paying the video. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. So (laughs) it is, it's, um, on video on demand right now, and I think it releases on Peacock on March 21st. So after the Oscars and presumably thus on Sky Showtime are similar, uh, you know, around the world. Um, but yeah, so I, I found it more actually more like Dunkirk, uh, Uh Personally, so I disagree with Danny on that, but I completely agree with Danny on the that the on-screen visuals he described. They were by far my favorite part of the movie, and I wish that the movie had more of that. Um, Someone made a joke that last year there was a nominated film called "Women Talking," and someone joked that this film was "Men Talking." Like, (laughs) (laughs) well, (laughs) you Um, know,
1: I'm I'm actually uh, remiss because I haven't seen Dunkirk. Uh, I think I tried to watch it on an airplane, and that just, you know, no, you just can't do that. That's not a yeah. way to, to watch it. But I, I do like, I, I enjoyed Tenant, even though it's the plot was weird. It's because the vibes, it's the mm-hmm. Nolan vibes. It's the same in Interstellar, it's the same in Inception. I haven't gone in for his um, superhero stuff, Dark Knight and, and Man of Steel.
0: Oh, that's, I mean, Dark Knight is, uh, it's, Really, one of the best superhero movies ever created. Yeah, yeah, and it's that's just one of the... my favorites. That and that, okay. and Inception. I think got um, it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I really enjoy Inception a lot. If I catch it on a on a live TV stream or something like that, I'll definitely pause and, and watch yeah. it for a little bit. But Nolan has a way of hitting that vibe, like bringing you mm-hmm. into this kind of embrace where you just have feels, and they're they're sometimes even indeterminate feels. You're just I just note that I'm emoting. Like right. there's just emotion coming out of me and they're not, it's not anger or sad. It's not anything specific. It's just, I'm in some sort of um, strange hallucinogenic state. Yeah.
0: Hallucin- yeah. It does feel like hallucination. Although this has those, those scenes that felt like hallucinations, the ones mm-hmm. that Danny were talking about, those are the ones I'm like, yes, more of that. That's the Nolan that I love. Right. Uh, so right. that's, yeah, what I hoped for more of, but Um Pretty consequential director, Nolan. Is. Yeah. I have a fun fact about him. I just recently learned oh, yeah. he's a huge fan of the Fast and the Furious series. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a funny uh, interview with, um, uh, with Stephen Colbert online where he's just so incredulous. Colbert hasn't watched it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's apparently his favorite is Tokyo Drift. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Danny, um, thank you for sending that in. I'm so glad to hear more people are getting into the death race um so yeah the the Oppenheimer clearly considered a frontrunner by a long shot it only missed three of the categories it's eligible for including VFX um strong acting I do have to disagree with Danny on the Emily Blunt factor because she was w- the one while I was watching the film in the theater I was thinking like she will and should get nominated for this uh but yeah it's definitely a tough category we'll talk more about it in later in the episode I'm a big Emily Blunt stan, so, you know. Yeah, I like she's too. On screen and, But and she that. also, she just knocked it out of the park, like reacting to that scene that Danny was describing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right, well, uh, what's next? Poor Things? All right, so Poor Things is okay. the number two most nominated film of the year, and it is my film of the year. So I, I feel like there are kind of two types of people, mm-hmm. uh, the Oppenheimer crowd and the Poor Things crowd, and I'm definitely the Poor Things crowd, which is like the, uh, it's a bit weirder, you know. Um So the producers in this one are Ed uh, Gini, Andrew Lowe, Yorgos Lanthimos, who's the director, and Emma Stone, the lead. And the plot is a scientist with a face like Frankenstein's monster places a baby's brain in her deceased mother's body. And the film follows that woman's development into an independent person in a technicolor steampunk world. So. Sounds, wild. It, it's, Sounds it's, it's wild. wild. It's wild. It's um, wild. So it was nominated for 11 categories. Today we're going to talk about Best Picture, Best Actress for Emma Stone, Best Supporting Actor for Mark Ruffalo, Best Director for Yorgos Lanthimos, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And in part three, we'll get into a score, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, production design, film editing, and cinematography. And actually, I'm going to be talking through uh, in part three, uh, some of those things with Abby. Okay. Very cool. Uh, so, David, you had an interesting reaction. You had heard negative things about the film.
1: Yeah, you know, listening to some U.S.-based reviewers, they were—I think there was a kind of a confused reaction state to the movie. People didn't know how to how to place it or situate sure. it, to to understand it. I think this must be, uh, and so my initial response was, uh, I'm not going to carve out time to to get into the theater and see it you know, I'll, you know, who knows, maybe I'll pick it up on, uh, on, uh, on video on demand, or maybe I won't, I think I will now. Uh, and I think for me, the way I'm relating to the film now is that it's, it's not a Hollywood entertainment film, but it's some kind of morality play i don't even say morality play that's the right word but it's a it's a film that's that's asking some questions or doing a setup yeah and then causing you to think about stuff that we as american audiences maybe largely aren't we want her fast and furious we don't want like oh the morality of of sexually active individual or Mm -hmm. all of these
0: prostitution yeah yeah
1: and and so it, I don't think it fits into a simple cookie cutter frame, and that's the way that it was initially presented to me as I was listening to other reviewers talking about it. And so I think now it's like, oh, interesting. Okay, so this is a, a thought-provoking film, not an entertainment-based film, even though it's entertaining and visually, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff
0: yeah i mean so anyone who's uh familiar with lanthmos um he's a darling of weird european cinema so (laughs) um so he is like he has uh the popular american or sorry english language uh films the lobster and the favorite um his and also the killing of sacred deer Uh, i won't list his entire filmography but i think the most relevant film for this is the one that was First got him nominated for an Oscar, was nominated for uh international film. It's in Greek. It's called Tooth, And it's his first feature film. And you can see that, uh, yeah, you can see such an evolution between the this and Poor Things. Like, basically, his budget is like 20 times larger, at least, you know. Right, um, right but it's still asking the same questions. So, but it's also, I, this movie made me go and dig up the book and the book is, it's such a great adaptation of the book because it's taking not only this, the the story, but it's shifting the perspective. So it's, it gives it a slightly more feminist perspective, which is remarkable from a male director. Um, But also that it's, Taking the the guy who wrote the book, Alistair Gray, he's also a visual artist, and it, so it interprets some of his visual art through the cinematography. Like it's just wow!
1: Great, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah that's. And I think that's the uh, a big draw is to see this visual uh, as well, which is a shame that I won't be able to see it on a on a big screen. Uh, but to um, to to dive into this very rich world, it sounds uh, it sounds pretty luscious.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as I said, it's my favorite of the year, along with uh, past lives. And um, right, if anyone else wants to see it, you can find it on video on demand starting February 27th. Um, and it's a searchlight film, so it should v- eventually end up on Hulu or Disney+. Plus.
1: Okay, very cool. All right. Uh, what's next? The big one. <laughs> Another big one, I should say. This yeah. is a big
0: year in film. This is definitely- it is a big year in film, yeah. yeah. So uh, we have Killers of the Flower Moon is the third most nominated film, uh, produced by, or at least production credits go to Dan Friedkin, Bradley Thomas, Martin Scorsese, and Daniel Lupi. And the plot is, white men have come to Osage County in Oklahoma, uh, sniffing after oil money, intermarrying with Osage people, many of whom are turning up dead. And this is based on a book that was telling the tale of a real story uh, that also drove the, um, the FBI to be set up, basically. And so this was nominated uh, for 10 different nominations. I do rattle off what the nominations are for in an interview you're about to hear in a second, so we'll uh, get into them more, of course, as we work through the categories. Um, but David, you watched about half and stopped.
1: Yeah, and then I finished it.: uh, the Oh, other you day.
0: did. Yeah, okay. I
1: finally, finally finished it. Uh, yeah. And again, long movies, um, lots of, lots of reasons for that. And obviously as a co-host of uh, a podcast, you know, a busy podcast, I have to balance. You're watching
0: a lot of things, yeah. I'm watching
1: television. I also have to, you know, I'm a family, you know, I have a family, so I've got to be present for for that as well, as well as my day job sort of work. And so there's only so many hours in a day that I can watch. And I can't, I just can't stay up late anymore, late. You know, it it kills me the next day. So, um, so yeah, I broke it in half. I was, uh, I, I didn't love this film. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I did not enjoy it. Yeah. I thought as a historical piece, I thought as a as a piece of of our cultural literacy, I think it's important because it's telling uh some stories, you know, a little bit of the same kind of work that um uh, uh oh what was the um um Jonathan Majors uh, television
0: um Oh, um, uh, love, love,
1: love, love cross country. Thank you. Yeah. I was getting confused in my head with, uh, the watchmen, but in, in both of those where, uh, we are being.
0: Confronted with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and in some cases, things that we didn't know, I didn't know mm-hmm. any of this story. Mm-hmm. I was completely unaware of, of this, uh, um, really ugly period of time and and had no idea that it had such a uh, impact on our the the structures of our country in terms of the response in terms of developing the the FBI which I it, to, to me I thought that was going to be a bigger part it seems very in in minor in some ways but anyway so I think it's important from that color cultural literacy standpoint mm-hmm. and understanding uncovering history that 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 has been obfuscated over the years intentionally, I think, in a lot of cases. Right. And so that's great. But I, I, the performances didn't work for me. Uh, well, at least okay. I should say the two main male lead performances didn't right. work Actually, right I for I me. Actually, I feel
0: the same for you with
1: yeah. you. Yeah. And um, the movie, it didn't need for me, for me, <laughs> didn't need to be three hours. This mm-hmm. could have been two hours. It could have been, you know, yeah, maybe two hours. There, there, It just felt a lot. There just felt to be a lot of stuff that was unnecessary. And and I didn't, I never felt driven by the plot. And every time I thought the plot was about to pick up and, and start to move, it didn't. And then it kind of mired down into some other things. And I get and appreciate the fact of like spending time and letting things breathe and getting to know characters or getting to know places. And sometimes you do that through time and being in a place, you know, having the filmmaker bring us into a place and just to be there. But then that just went on and on and on. And, and I didn't feel the the purpose of it, you know, and, and I was looking over Scorsese's filmography and, and, you know there's a few that i like and then there's a few that i'm i'm i don't like and so you know it's he's not he's not a consequential director for me personally
0: mhm okay yeah i mean i i'm actually with you i'm not one of the huge kursesi fans myself there are some movies of his that are particularly some a lot of his earlier movies um are are just absolutely iconic and i really uh, appreciate them there are some that i really love which like shutter island which i know is apparently not one of his own (laughs) favorite or hugo is just so different for him sure um this is more a typical scorsese film which is definitely going to get a lot of fans and it definitely did uh and yeah it's based on one of the all-time bestseller true crime books um And yeah, it's got a cast of like a who's who cast meets Native American immersion. So I understand why a lot of people, one person who did really love this, love the book, love the film even more, is my own father, Jim Brenner. So I'll let him tell you why this is meaningful to uh, him in his own words. Okay, here we go. All right. So I am here today with a very special guest. I am here with my own father, Jim Brenner. Hi, Dad. How are you? Hi. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> um, so we're, we're here to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon because, you know, you have uh, you have a good amount of expertise to talk on it. Because, first of all, you live in Oklahoma in Indian country and you know a lot about the history of this. So can you tell us briefly why is Oklahoma called Indian country? Why are all the tribes living there very briefly?
4: Well, uh, Andrew Jackson decided to take over all of the Indian property in the United States, and forced the tribes to move into Indian territory, uh, including our Potawatomi tribe, which came right. down from the north. Ours was a trail of death, but theirs was a trail of tears with the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Chickasaw. Mm-hmm. yeah, and Cherokee Creek and Seminole. Anyway, <laughs> we were forced into giving up our lands and. Uh, Homes elsewhere and move, and uh, so I found uh, Killers of the Flower Moon really interesting because the Osage were given totally worthless plot of land. Right, they couldn't grow anything. They couldn't, you know, do anything with it. Right, but then they discovered a well.
0: Yeah, because I mean, that isn't that why that uh, all the tribes were moved to Oklahoma it was because the land wasn't fertile.
4: Well, yeah, partly. Uh, it was mostly they just, yeah, they just kind of thought it was an out of the way place to put parkas. Yeah. You know? And uh, so uh, they didn't have much interest in Oklahoma, but there are, there are fertile areas of Oklahoma, you know, in, especially in the East. Yeah. But uh, in fact, my grandfather, who was uh, Indian and who escaped from uh, one of those children's prisons, I uh, had a a farm in Paul's Valley, and um, that farm he parcelled. Well, he let farmers come in and was able to uh, uh, to productively farm that that land for a long time. Right. So anyway, that was and then that he, was he found here in Oklahoma. So.
0: And then he found uh, oil there, which ties right into. Well, the we block. actually
4: no. My grandfather uh, had an 80, 80 acre parcel that was part of the uh, uh, Indian settlement, and mm-hmm. they did discover oil on that. And, right. And uh, so we had a uh, we had a payments coming to us uh, to the family, the Weld mm-hmm. the family,
0: right. For
4: quite a long your, time. Your your
0: mother, my grandmother, and family, right. yeah, perfect.
4: right. But uh, um, it kind of petered out, and uh, we did not sell the last plot, but somehow we haven't seen any money from it. So, <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I remember grandma driving me by the, the pumps, and that they were just kind of like rusted and still.
4: Yeah, yeah, and uh, improperly capped, of course,
0: mm-hmm.
4: all that right. sort of stuff. But uh, now with lateral drilling and fracking, uh, almost no use for any of the old oil wells themselves. And uh, the only problem is that most of them still allow methane to escape from.
0: Right, right. Yes. And you guys experienced an earthquake recently, right?
4: Yeah, we did. Yeah, (laughs) five uh, something. I forget what it was. Uh, This epicenter was about, over an hour's drive from us, and yet we—it was enough that that we felt it pretty right. strongly in the house. Not that it shook anything off the shelves or anything, but it—but we did feel it. Yeah. So we do have a fault line here. <laughs>
0: so. yeah. And um, *Killers of the Fire Moon*, the book—I know you're a fan of the book. When did you first pick it up?
4: I very shortly after it was uh, published. Um, I read it then, and then I reread it what five years later, six years later, and was very impressed with it both times that I read it. But, you know, it you know how they always say uh the book is so much better than the movie? Well right. I think the I think the movie is so much better than the book. Okay,
0: okay. <laughs> um and why why is that? Well
4: the book is so uh you know includes so many murders and so many right you know characters and that, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously when he wrote the book, he really did a huge amount of research. So it's, it's kind of dense and, uh, almost difficult to go through. Uh, one comment that I thought was kind of interesting that was included in the book, but not in the movie was, uh, one, one fellow mentioning to another fellow that his wife was one of the, uh, um, what what do they call that? Claim holders, deed holders. Anyway, right. and so uh, he, he told his his buddy that you got to get get yourself one of these because mm-hmm. uh, you know these women are wealthy. <laughs> right. Anyway, the the whole uh, thing about the book that was so intense was how many right women, especially, were murdered. I mean, it was just in probably close to a thousand, and uh, you know, and the I thought that the movie didn't really get into that too much, but they did show, you know, that well, they
0: showed the bodies piled up for sure. Yeah. Um, Um, Now I always think of grandma. Grandma always used to say that uh, they they were treated differently after the oil well was discovered and they started getting the money in, but obviously. Not in the same way that we're seeing with the Osage in the movie. Why do you think this is different? You think it was just the ringleader effect? Well, it was
4: the wealth. The wealth, you know, the Osage happened to be out there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, um, so as that wealth piled up and the Osage started buying Rolls Royces and that sort of stuff, that jealousy was, is like always the driver of, uh, um, you know, bringing people in who want to get your money, and uh, so that's what brought it in.
0: Yeah, and so you preferred the the film to the movie in the end. But I, the major complaint that people have who prefer it the other way around is that the movie misses out on the FBI stuff, or that there's less of it.
4: There's less of it, and the, near the end, near the end of the movie, when they're showing that the FBI, uh, you know, they Ten Most Wanted. And I, actually, you know, I'm old enough that I can recall when the FBI actually did that Ten Most Wanted on television.
0: Right. No, I and remember they, it from they, my childhood even. Yeah,
4: Yeah. They, they moved from radio to television, but there didn't seem to be as much. You almost need a, needed a commentator over the, uh, that last or almost last scene of the movie where they did that. And they explained on the FBI thing how they had arrested some people and stuff. So I guess there was maybe less, well, there was quite a bit less coverage of the FBI and the development of the FBI, how that really happened, partly because of, or mainly even because of uh, the Osage and and all of the killings that were going on.
0: Yeah. And... How do you feel about the representation of the Osage, or just you know Native American culture in general in the film?
4: I was so pleased that he actually, Scorsese actually went out of his way to uh, bring in the Osage tribe.
0: Yeah, and apparently this was after feedback. He redeveloped the script to bring that forward more.
4: Well, yeah, but you know, to have a Native American win an Oscar.
0: Yeah, she's the first. Lily, um, Lily Gladstone is the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, female lead nominee uh, as a Native American. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was pleased with that. I mean, it's, it's really kind of, uh, it's kind of a shame that so many movies don't bring in the Native Americans or the, right. the, the foreign speakers and trying mm-hmm. to portray, uh, you know, Middle Easterners with, you know, just by putting on makeup and that right. sort of thing. Right. So I was pleased that they actually had had Native Americans in the movie.
0: And right. And they use the language a lot.
4: Plot and, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about, um, there are certain Native American actors, particularly, most famously, Devery Jacobs, who have said about the film that it centers the Osage's victims and it's about the white violence perpetrated against them.
4: Well, I think that more films should show the violence against people, and mm. you know, it's it's portraying them as as victims, and uh, and yet there are scenes in the uh, in the movie that I really liked about how they were trying to figure out how the tribe was trying to figure out how to deal with these guys, uh, the right. murderers, you know, and uh, and it they just didn't get any help from Oklahoma, and they didn't get any help from national police until the FBI came in.
0: Right. I mean, I I have to say that I was wary before I watched it, but then once I did see it, um, I was much happier with the representation that they did differentiate, you know, what makes Osage different from other tribes. And, you know, they did show a lot of that. I just do wish, uh, but this goes for several movies. I wish that that the Native American characters had been given more agency, that the female characters have been given more agency, but you know, tell us all this time. Yeah, and and I understand there, it's a true story. I, but. I really,
4: I thought though that the movie, by distilling out the major characters and focusing on those major characters, and focusing on kind of focusing on how the FBI was brought in, uh, and they kind of trickled in at first. I thought that the movie did a great job of, of uh, portraying the Osage in a favorable light. And yeah. Maybe they could have done better. I, In my estimation, yeah. they did a good job.
0: It's a definitely a step forward mm-hmm. in representation. Yeah. Well, it's nominated for 10 Oscars. Um, best, best Picture, Director, Actress, uh, Supporting Actor for De Niro, Cinematography, Editing, Production Design, Costume Design original score, and original song. Um, hmm. Will you be watching the Oscars on March 10th? I
4: probably will, yeah. Any? I, yeah, I, I uh, would definitely uh, uh, favor them, and I, I, I hope that they get a, fav- a few Oscars, especially, I think, De Niro. Um, anyway, I just think that
0: yeah. the... Yeah, I'm rooting the- for Ryan Gosling in that one. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, anyway, I just think that it deserves a few Oscars. I do think right. that uh, Oppenheimer was a great movie, and I right. saw that one twice as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh,
4: that deserves some, some recognition as well. So
0: Yeah, nominated for 13 Oscars the most. So yeah. it's a good chance it, it'll walk home with a lot of the biggest prizes. Yeah. Oppenheimer, yeah. Anything else that you wanted to mention, the, your chess uh, slash go club?
4: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I I love to uh uh get more participants in the chess club. Uh we go
0: in Shawnee, Thursday, Oklahoma. A- in
4: Shawnee, Oklahoma, in the, at the mall. Uh yeah, we have uh you know, I have I started that chess club in 2013 and and it's gone from anywhere from me being sitting there alone reading a book to uh, uh having you know, three tables, four tables running at a time. So that's kind of nice. Yeah.
0: Anywhere people could find out information if they wanted to join?
4: Well, we do have a, a Facebook page.
0: Okay. Uh, and it's called? Shawnee Chess. Shawnee Chess. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dad, for joining us. And yeah, thank you for giving us all that insight into Killers of the Flower Moon. You definitely help me appreciate it more and uh, especially knowing more about the book.
4: Well, thank you.
0: So yeah, anyone in Shawnee, Oklahoma, you know what you need to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was really interesting. I And I really appreciate the fact that you have a personal connection to this and that your, your dad was willing to uh, get on the mic with you, which is kind of a, a fun little thing anyway, just between, you know, family members. So I, I, I must have enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting that he enjoyed the movie more than the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that kind of I was kind of surprised by that.
0: Well, he made a good point about, uh, about the movie versus the book. You know, a lot of the complaints about the movie is that it's like trauma porn. He's like, well, the book's even worse, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? He's like, this is the
0: lighter take. Um, Simplifies it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I have mixed feelings about the movie. Um, I am on the side of, I, I don't, like, as soon as it was announced Scorsese was doing this, I was like, mm, I don't know. But once I watched, the representation was done much better than I'd feared. So, like, I'm definitely okay with the representation on that end. You know, it was nice how much they use the language and, um, you know, the the costume design. I think this is a great contender for that category. But the Native American characters did still feel mostly like, prop, like props. And this has... A lot to do with Scorsese not being great at romance, I think. Okay. And uh, so I couldn't really buy into the central relationship, but also I didn't find the way the central relationship was presented to be realistic. So that sort of took me out of it. But you know, the production design, the costume design, the score, all of that was exceptional. Um, So yeah, Yeah. I'm, it's in the middle for me.
1: Yeah. Visually it's a a very well shot. Uh, The, movie the color tones are great the lighting is great yes i agree the the production design was amazing the vehicles the the costuming all of that super good and i think you're right i think maybe something that i was missing a little bit is is that the um osage community seemed to be a two-dimensional backdrop Mm -hmm. and it was really leo and de niro forward and everybody else was sort of around them and as as device for them as opposed to yeah a lot of impact or or getting to know other people in the in the family and uh in the community
0: but i do have to you know from my father's perspective he's right this is a huge step forward from sure sure you know what's what he grew up watching when uh what's been available for the longest time so absolutely and,
1: and to see um you know Osage community members not as um I don't think they were characters, I just think they were singular dimensions right like they, they we didn't get into into a lot of deeper stuff, but the fact that we got to see people as they you know, we're presented at that time and not as mm-hmm. an, in, in an othering way or as a.
0: And, and I have to say, it was nice to see just, you know, because sometimes it feels like the idea of what Native American tribes look like have blended exactly. together, especially because it's, you know, laziness on the one hand, but it's also the fact if you dump a bunch of tribes in Oklahoma, they're just going to start look more alike. You know, they're going to start wearing more of the same clothing, things like that. And uh, the production design, the costuming really honored their unique Mm -hmm. tradition with using the military coats and things like that. Yeah.
1: And and when we see human cultures evolve and change. So we've just been watching True Detective Night Country and seeing uh, Inupiaq communities. They're like, we don't want to go back, but we also don't want to forget. Right. Like I, Mm -hmm. I do like having a lot of modern convenience and so or we see other cultures when when they merge or connect the changes the changes in in dress the changes in patterns of life and that is a very real human thing and so to see the osage as they're adopting uh uh, this new these new styles and these new patterns right using a motor car
0: well, so we talked about, um, the Choctaw, uh, we talked about during, you know, our, our, uh, echo coverage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so this is one of the other quote unquote five civilized tribes, uh, right. that <laughs> did the trail of tears because they were closer to where they, before they were moved, they were, uh, already starting to adopt more European customs and dress. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, if you want to see and judge for yourself, then you'll find it on Apple TV Plus or Video On Demand. And uh, that brings us to our fourth of the big four, uh, Barbie. Now, yeah, right. Barbie was produced by David Hyman, Margot Robbie, Tom Ackerley and Robbie Brenner. And no relation. <laughs> and uh, this is Margot Robbie's only path to an Oscar for this film. But it's unlikely to win at this point. Um The plot is that a woman who works for Mattel accidentally causes stereotypical Barbie to start malfunctioning, sending her on a journey of um, self-discovery with her Ken in tow, which upends the entire social order of Barbie land. And it was nominated for eight awards. Uh, today, we'll talk about Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for America Ferrara, Best Supporting Actor for Ryan Gosling, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And in part three, we'll dive into the two original songs, costume design and production design. Um, so, yeah, this was one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I, for a while throughout the year, I was all gung-ho for this to take home the top prize, but it, yeah, it seems to be losing steam, and I'm throwing my weight behind four things now. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: So we interviewed uh, Marilyn Arpequila, our favorite Tolkien scholar and uh, somebody that Lorehounds community should know well. She's an original uh, Barbie <laughs> consumer. And so, um, yeah, we wanted to chat with her and, and get her take on it. So let's listen to that interview now. Okay, here to talk with us about Barbie, our favorite Tolkien scholar, Marilyn Arpequila. Marilyn, it's good to see you. Welcome back again. Thank you.
5: It's great to see both of you, David and Alicia.
1: It's been a while since we've been on the microphone with you, so uh Yeah, it has. I'm glad uh, glad we could make this work out. So, we're going to talk a little bit about Barbie and as a movie as an Oscar's movie, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk with you is because you collected Barbie from <laughs> the early days. Like how far back do you go with Barbie?
5: Well, I'm actually three years older than Barbie, so oh, that, wow. okay <laughs> that'll give it a nice context right there. Right. Um there was something called the Barbie doll bridge uh-huh. when I was five or six years old, because I really wanted a dark-haired Barbie. Okay. And they the the blonde ones were in stock, but I think the dark haired with the ponytail on the top of her head was was the OG Barbie. And that was what I wanted. And at five or six, you know, trying to dissuade. Not an easy job. So once a week when we went grocery shopping, we drive across this bridge. And that was also where the toy store was. And so we would stop at the toy store to see if, you know, my Barbie had come in. Uh huh. And it, it took like weeks and weeks. And this was in, I don't know, 61 or 62 or something like that. So it had a very intense place in my life for a while. Um, the whole thing about the dream houses is fascinating to me because, of course, Barbie dropped out of my world, you know, within 10 years of that time. And I never mm-hmm. saw the 1990s pink Barbies with the slide down. That, and all, that's all that the kind stuff, of stuff
0: that I was collecting. Yeah. Right,
5: exactly. <laughs> so, you know, next generation down. My dream house in 1962 had no pink. And there was no bed for ken there was no kitchen so all of those domestic kinds of things gone uh it, she had clearly been to college because she had varsity banners on her walls mm-hmm. but it was a place for her to have fun to be entertained there was a tv there was a record player there was a picture of ken on the wall so he wasn't completely gone um but no cooking no cleaning no children um boyfriend but not in. and there's a terrific new york times article about all of the the, the evolution of the dream houses. So if anyone is interested in that, maybe we can put a link to it in the show notes, although it is New York times. So I know sometimes sorry to get through that. Well, so at the end, I wound up with two black haired Barbies, one blonde skipper, one redheaded skipper, one brunette scooter, one Mm -hmm. blonde Ken and one brown haired Ken. And none of them have cellulite, but they do have very sticky skin. You know how <laughs> <laughs> plastic toys that sort of developed this thing. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. But no flat have, feet. <laughs> no, no flat feet. Or well, maybe can head. Well, can head flat feet. Mm, sure. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I noticed in, in going through all this, because I still have them up in the guest bedroom here. Um, I think some of those were actually given to me whether by an older friend or cousin or something, I don't know. Cause I don't remember going out and buying all of those. And I had the bridal gown, which was the most expensive thing. I would never have had enough money to buy it. My mother would have said, I'll make you one rather than <laughs> pay for it kind of thing. So I think somebody must've given them to me. Um, so and- the next house after that had a little bit of pink. Um, and then that was like a, um, townhouse. And then there was an a-frame from 1979. Also with almost no pink. So pink really became a thing in the 1990s. Okay, interesting.
1: I'm looking at one of these early ones and it looks like a very kind of a cardboardy construction, but I love the fact that on the bookshelf is uh, a set of Encyclopedia Britannica (laughs) encyclopedias, which (laughs) I think I had, the ones that we had, had a very similar spine Uh, to them. So I I feel very connected to this photo here. Yeah.
5: And the console TV I actually put some photos of all the stuff in um, one of the Discord channels, the one for movies. So if people are interested, they can zoom in there quickly and and take a look at stuff. Yeah, they were made of cardboard. They're so tattered because we had silverfish. Silverfish love to eat Mm. paper, and that was not not good. The very first thing I got, other than the doll, the carrying case, I noticed it doesn't even
0: say and can on it.
5: Wow. It just says Barbie. Barbie. Very cool. So I found that interesting.
0: Yeah. You know what I found interesting that I learned from, there is an excellent podcast by LA made. Uh, they did a series about the history of Barbie and I didn't realize, well, first of all, you learn a lot about the history of Barbie through the movie we're about to talk about, which Mm. I really appreciated. Um, but I didn't realize that, uh, Barbie was actually the name of, you know, the inventor's daughter. Yes. That was cool.
5: Yeah.
0: And Ken, I guess was her son.
5: Oh, okay. There I, there were so many different types of Barbies that I had never seen before or didn't know about. I mean, it really was pretty astonishing. And I think yeah. I had the scooter and the skipper and all that because I was the younger daughter i had an older okay. sister and uh, i started to grow i was the big that. sister so well, i probably gave
0: my sister a sk- skipper um <laughs> yeah i i was collecting in the 80s and 90s and at first it started with you know just like playing as a kid i liked that and gem and my little ponies you know and i had like all the mm-hmm, house mm-hmm. and stuff uh but then later it was just i just like to collect dolls um with very pretty or you know sure interesting outfits and just put them on display and look at them and that's when yeah, I started to get really into fashion. So yeah, Barbie was my gateway fashion doll. Well,
5: and I got to say, the earlier uh, clothing was a lot better made. It was there were more details, and you know, it wasn't yeah. just a it
0: wasn't so slap of fabric story, pulled yeah.
5: together on a string and one snapping mm-hmm. back, and there's a skirt.
0: You know, I mean, it. it well, I got the special craft. the special editions, which were a bit more elaborate. Oh well, yeah, those those yeah. would have been, wouldn't they? Um, But yeah, the movie, uh, so the movie was directed by Greta Gerwig, uh, who's before this probably best known for Little Women, which is an amazing film also. Yes, it is. And the screenplay was by her and her equally famous husband, Noah Baumbach, who's uh, many of you might be fans of his films. And yeah, this is actually the first live action Barbie film. And just a quick plot recap uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Barbie and Ken have existential crises in Barbie land and visit the real world where they meet another woman and a company Mattel going through existential crises of their own. And, um, a lot of people saw this movie because there was some brilliant marketing behind it. Like, you know, I have a degree in marketing and I have to give them all the applause. (laughs) Like the, the mysterious teasers they started with the posters online. were like, I am, you know, science Barbie. I'm Alicia Barbie. Um, the photo boxes at events and, of course, the whole Barbenheimer, you know, event that nobody could have predicted that drove both movies to phenomenal intakes. Um, this one got nearly $1.5 billion at the box office. It's the 14th highest grossing film of all time and obviously of 2023. And, yeah, it's one of the films that's been like looming large over award season in general. It's got eight Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Ryan Gosling, Best Supporting Actress for America Ferreira, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Costume Design, Best Production Design, and two songs nominated for Best Original Song. And Has that ever yeah. happened before? Two songs? Yeah, sure. Hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. they, But they do actually, there were three that could have been nominated this time because the Dua Lipa song could have also been well nominated, but there's a max that there can only be two songs for the Oscars at, in the same category. Yeah. Uh. Um, and yeah, the cast is just absolutely insane. Uh, we can't even list them all, but just Helen Mirren, Rhea, per- Rhea Perlman, Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, uh, Dua Lipa, Michael Sarah, Simu Liu, Ben Kingsley-Adair, Shuti Gatwa, Will Farrell, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah, but I know Marilyn, you agree with me that it's, Robbie was robbed and so was Gerwig. Absolutely. I just don't understand
5: how you can have a best picture and not have a best director. And, and I just her Robbie's depiction was so, I mean, she, she had the whole luminous thing going, but she also, somebody called her a naive, but big heart and not afraid to go out there and, and, and confront the construction workers when she discovered that they didn't exactly have a lot of feminine energy going on. <laughs> over there. I really, really was disappointed at that decision.
0: No, I mean, I think she gave a brilliant performance. Um, She actually was like the fourth in line to play Barbie because originally this film was developed by Universal, and it was going to be Amy Schumer. But she was like, "You just, you're not going to be. Let me do what I want to do." And then, yeah, Anne Hmm. Hathaway was going to play Barbie, and then it went over to you to what WB, and they first offered it to Gal Gadot. Um, oh, really? Yeah. That would have that. been very interesting and a completely different film. Yeah. I just can't imagine it any other way.
5: I'm so glad it ended up the way that it is. Yeah, Although we would have gotten a brunette Barbie instead of a blonde Barbie. So.
0: Yeah. I do wonder, <laughs> yeah, if they were going to like put a blonde wig on uh, Gal Gadot. I think or they, they, they were.
5: I can't imagine yeah. them not doing this as a blonde.
0: Yeah. And yet you, Marilyn, you were talking about uh, does myth shape culture or does culture shape myth? What do you mean by this question in the notes?
5: Well, people blame Barbie for all kinds of, you know, giving women difficulties about how they look and uh, completely unrealistic expectations and so on and so on. So you could say that's the doll shaping or the culture is trying to shape the doll. But at the same time, she was reflecting culture she was reflecting ideas at the time. I mean, look at the shift from, you know, the original Barbie who, you know, was your average typical teenager. And then suddenly that whole raft of differing Barbies of all types, including abilities. And I don't think they changed any age that much, but you know, the, the pregnant skipper, you know, they kept going back to her. I never heard of such (laughs) a thing. Wheelchair Barbie, uh, you know, Barbies of different colors and All of that was a reflection of how culture had changed. So this mirroring of of object and and culture uh, has interested me for a very, very, very long time. I taught that perspective when I did my Women in Myth and Fairy Tale class. So you have toys that invite imaginative play, and they're mirrors to our own culture and beliefs. A child can't play something that they've never seen or heard of before. And so some see Barbie as moving culture and. Moving with culture and presenting alternatives, and others see her as a source of oppression and anti feminist sentiment, mostly due to her body shape. I think.
0: Hmm. Uh, but yeah. it's,
5: she's different things to different people.
0: I remember when they, I was in high school, I think, when they redesigned Barbie to have slightly more realistic proportions. And right. there was constant joking about, oh, fat Barbie. Like, no, it's just normal looking Barbie. Like, it's, yeah. 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 Well, but
5: they did bring out fat Barbie. Physically too, possible
0: so. Barbie. Yeah. 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 yeah.
5: And I loved the opening that talked about up until this point, dolls were only there to be mothered and fed Mm -hmm. and washed and changed and all this kind of thing. And suddenly here is a doll, still a doll, but a doll that does things. And, you know, it's not at first, as people could say, well, it's, you know, all what she does is she keeps changing clothes and so forth, but she's there living a life and is not asking anybody else to take care of her. And, they kind of captured that, I think,
0: in the film. What do you think? Alicia? Yeah. Why well, I, I also love the opening because it's the you know 2001 space odyssey riff, um, and, yes. and that's that's the film actually has so many f- references to classic film that it just made mm-hmm. the film buff in me glow in my heart. Like I, I just that was one right. of the things that I came out of it really loving, and it just was set by that opening and you just know, okay, I'm in for a ride. Buckle up. <laughs> Absolutely. Culture talking to culture. Mm-hmm. And for
5: me, it was the side of the black and white striped bathing suit. Cause that was the very right. first thing that the first Barbie ever wore. And I don't know how far that carried into the future, but uh, it was iconic. It was hysterically funny. I mean, yeah. I was just laughing out loud the whole time.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the trailer, which does the whole 2001 2001- Space Odyssey monolith thing. And it's so well targeted at bringing us into what the movie is going to do. It's We're going to examine these questions. We're going to upend our thoughts and our ideas about them. We're going to move history forward. So I think on that question of this cultural conversation, it's such an important film in the sense of Shifting our ideas as culture and society, absolutely, and doing it with fun and with music and brilliant performances, it really does. um It deserves all that it's you know uh, garnered and more. Uh, as we've said, that you know there's some significant misses, but yeah, what an amazing, what what a great thing to for this corporation A to allow this to happen, right? Because they own the the rights mm-hmm. to this, mm-hmm. but then for you know, Margot Robbie to actually have such a cutting insight and such a way to show us a a, a mirror of Mm -hmm. culture and and our society in in a perfect summer fun blockbuster. It's, it's a really, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a phenomenon.
5: Well, and it was a gentle parody of second wave feminism until it wasn't, Uh you know, I mean, it didn't just stop there, which would have been the obvious place for many people. It went on and it really dug deep. And I, the thing that absolutely I adored, I was, I was just crying, was the speech, um, you know, sort of the, the climactic moment.
0: Yeah, um, America, Ferreira's-
5: the speech, America Ferreira's speech, it is literally impossible to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every right. single point she made, it was like, yes, 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 yes! yes. <laughs> It was, it was, phenomenal. I never had a weird Barbie, but I know that that's definitely a thing.
0: Yeah. I, I would that. never desecrate my dolls, but I definitely I wouldn't saw either, other people. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I definitely saw other people's that were the weird Barbies. Yeah,
5: <laughs> But isn't it an interesting that with the brothers? Even... Yeah. Oh, really? Huh. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that they included it. And, yeah. you know, was it, was it the young feminists who were doing that? Was it people who just always did that three or twice anyway. I mean, I don't know, but it we clearly- We did that to it, it was, our,
1: our GI Joes G.I. and Joes. things okay, like that. So yeah. clearly it was a thing. Yeah. Clearly it was a thing. That you, I, at some point, we would just get kind of bored with these things. And then we would then- Sure. Push some boundary, right? Mm-hmm, Blow them up mm-hmm. or burn mm-hmm, them or mm-hmm. draw on them, what have you. So,
5: But the other thing I liked was they didn't leave issues of gender solely swirling around women. Mm-hmm. That's such a common mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I also see that here they're parodying men's movements, particularly Iron John by Robert Bly, (laughs) you know, the horses and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad.
0: I thought it was about horses. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
5: Exactly. Um, And, of course, if one is um, wanting the goal of changing gender relations in general, then you, you can't just, quote unquote, work
0: on one of them. Yeah. It has to be both. Right. Right. Yeah, I see. I I have to think about the documentaries category also with this, you know, where they're talking about, um, uh, you know, we we tried to tell the women to just be more liberal, but then the men got more violent toward them. Maybe we actually have to talk to the men. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Such a novel concept. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I I think that um, they did this in a sensitive way, because I know a lot of men also who have felt that they their behavior is too prescribed by their gender that people expect certain things from them. And they're like, I don't want to have to be a certain way. I want to be able to, um, show my emotion when I, when, you know, it's a feels necessary. I want to be able to show interest in certain things without having being told that I'm no longer belong to my own gender, you know, and that's, and I love that it addressed that straight on in a way that I felt was, uh, I know people are like, "Oh, it's man hating." I disagree with that one hundred percent. I think it's it's um, it's embracing the struggles that everyone goes through.
5: Yeah, um, there there is no ultimate male or female, and both of these categories are held up as quote unquote ideals, but they're actually prisons. Mm-hmm. And. The other thing that it showed me is how far we have actually come. David, I hope I won't embarrass you, but when I think of you and John and how you talk about your children and how yep. you're raising them, yeah, I tell you, it's pretty gobsmacking for somebody <laughs> who was born when I was.
1: We are not our uh, fathers' sons in the same way as our our fathers yeah. were. The way that you know the number of diapers we've changed and the kind of primary caregiving that we are. It's just, it's just what we do. It's not exactly. even like, it's not even like we're trying to break some stereotype or no. it's not like our partners are children. demanding <laughs> yeah. something.
0: Sorry, what was that? You just love your, 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 you know, your spouses and children. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. And so we're, we, I want to be naturally engaged, but I think that's an important point is, is that there's no cultural markers that are saying that I can't be engaged. My expectation is to sit in the waiting room with a cigar with all the other yeah, nervous right. expecting dads.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and wait for, you know, the miracle to happen and then then mostly, you know, benignly ignore my kid when they when they go talk <laughs> to your mother. Um yeah. Yeah. and and those that's what's changed is is those we need categories. We need stereotypes we need pathways right to to follow things to model from but when the model becomes a prison as opposed to a hey here's this facet here's this facet here's this Mm -hmm. facet and then you can kind of make your way through that and develop as a person as opposed to being constricted to you've got to drive a truck and you got to have a goatee and you got to wear your hat backwards and you know whatever You can do that and that's fine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the ex- when, when the expectation becomes when somebody else doesn't present the same way, then that's the problem. That's right. what I think we're trying to grapple with and that's what we're, right. we're trying to erode. And I, we, we were having this conversation about the American fiction film with Ron Dawson and we were talking about the fact that in that film, something that that film successfully does is to be an inclusive conversation about race. And mm-hmm. I, as a not black person, felt very included in that conversation and and I got to laugh at all the jokes and I got to be part of it. And I think that's what's really remarkable about this year's crowd of Oscars at, with with Barbie is I got to participate in a conversation about gender where I didn't feel boxed yes. in 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 one way or another. We all got to laugh at it. and yes. we all got to examine and we all got to go home with the things that we need to think about as us as individuals. But then we also got this great. Sociological perspective. We got to laugh at ourselves as a group culture as well. And yeah. that's, that's a hard thing to do.
5: The key words that rise for me are choice mm-hmm. and mirroring. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of discussion about that going throughout. But the the one thing that touched me most dearly was the scene at the bus stop where Barbie sits down and sees an older woman and says mm-hmm. to her, You're so beautiful. And the older woman says, I know it. (laughs) And that's when I really cried.
0: (laughs) And and Greta Gerwig fought hard to keep that scene because the execs, you know, the execs didn't get it. And she's like, no, this is, this scene is the entire movie.
5: Yeah. Right. Along with the other one that I mentioned earlier. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the good,
1: and good for Greta Gerwig for standing up and fighting for her creative vision.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. We. And that's why this movie is as good as it is because exactly. she was given the space to also yeah. because of how well, especially you know, uh, Little Women exactly. did. Yeah. I was
1: actually just watching a um, documentary about the making of the Star Wars trilogy and oh, one yeah. of the, the whole things that Lucas is fighting for this whole time is for his own creative voice his own creative vision which mm-hmm. we could question there's some there's no doubt that there's some questionable yeah. things there but in terms of of the balance between what a studio has to say and what a creative person has to say there has to be a tension there and I think it's necessary but when it, because I think it to, for a creative to have to fight a little bit, it's good because it makes you sharpen right. your your arguments and 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 makes you balance. Good good crea- creativity comes from struggling with the constraints. At the same time, when studios go too far, then we just get watered down pablum. pablum. That is yeah, that is exactly <laughs> just flavorless and 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 tasteless. And I'm so glad that Margot Robbie had the footing and the force of character and will. I mean, you have to have a huge ego to direct a movie because it's sprawling in terms of crews and actors. You mean and, mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Go yeah. Did I say? You yeah. said Robbie. Yeah. My, my apologies. So good for her for, for fighting through her vision and, and really mm-hmm. standing on what she believed to, she wanted to say with this movie. And And yeah. like you said, at least that's what makes it a good movie. It has a point of view and it has something to say. Uh, from that point of view. so
5: And such a clever, witty, and mm-hmm. impactful way yeah. of saying it. You mentioned Star Wars a minute ago?
1: Yep, of course. There was, it's the Lorehouse
5: podcast. Of well, course. hello. <laughs> there, was a, there was a very Star Wars quote that came from someone of great importance, I won't spoil that, who says, Mothers stand still so their daughters can see how far they've come. And I was right there, mm, believe it or not, in The Last Jedi. When yeah. Yoda says, "The greatest teacher failure is Luke. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters."
0: Yeah, yeah. There I think go. that uh, a lot of people felt seen in this movie. Mothers felt seen in this movie. Asexual people felt seen in this movie. Mermaids felt seen in this movie. You know, <laughs> so demographic. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, Marilyn, are there any other films that you saw this year that you are in love with or that you're rooting for at the Oscars or just think people should see in general?
5: Well, I don't, I don't, this was not nominated for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Freud's Last Session.
0: Oh, I've heard good things about that. Yeah. Um, I because
5: C.S. Lewis, um, mm-hmm. it had originally been a, a stage play. And then the, the scriptwriter for the stage play became the screenwriter for the film. And all of a sudden I'm back into all these wonderful questions about adaptation and why did they choose to do this? And, but there were times when I, f- I was thinking, gosh, this could almost be a play on stage. And afterwards <laughs> I said, well, imagine that. Yes. <laughs> because it was. But that, that's one thing that really sticks out in my mind. I'm not sure I saw many of the other Oscar nominees.
0: Well, I should have, have a list in front of me so I could run down. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> you have the the Oscars Death Race website if you want to, you know, join,
5: <laughs> join <laughs> like the marathon. Got, like we <laughs> like, have the time. Make myself smarter. <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> I have a few other marathons to run right now. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, great. Well, thank you, Marilyn, for joining us on this conversation. It was. Um, I'm just glad that we got to have this movie and we got to, to talk about it. And I wish we could talk about it a little bit more. Maybe, maybe we'll do a retrospective on Barbie one year later. Well, there you go.
5: Like I mean, like one that. of my questions is if they hadn't coincided, would we even have ever had Barbenheimer? Would it have?
0: Yeah. yeah. I think Barbie would have done well because of the um, marketing. But I Absolutely. think... I mean, and you know what? Oppenheimer would have done well because it's Christopher Nolan. So, yeah. Yeah. but I think this definitely magnified both. Yeah. I think so.
1: I Great. think so. All right, Marilyn, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for dropping by.
0: Well, thank you so much for including me. I really had fun. So yeah, if, uh, if you want to watch this film for yourself, then you'll find it on HBO max or video on demand.
1: Yeah. I think I, I kind of want to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, cause there's so much in it, you know, that I, that I, I've kind of missed. I think it, I'm going to so. do a anyway.
0: double feature of Barbie and past lives the night before the Oscars.
1: there you go (laughs) good all right well let's take a quick break and then when we come back we'll pick it up with maestro and we're back Okay, Alicia, let's talk a little bit about the Bradley Cooper vehicle. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else is it? Uh, Maestro. Uh, why don't you kick us off?
0: Yeah, so if Maestro were to win Best Picture, the award would go to Bradley Cooper, Steven Spielberg, Fred, Fred Berner, Amy Derning, and Christy Moscovo krieger um, The plot is that it's a life and career and marriage and extramarital affairs of iconic American composer Leonard Bernstein, and it received five nominations. Today we'll talk about Best Picture, Best Actor for Bradley Cooper, Best Actress for C- Carrie Mulligan, and Best Original Screenplay. And in part three, we'll get into makeup and hair, sound, and cinematography. So um, what were you've watched, Maestro? What were your thoughts on it, David?
1: Yeah, we saw it. I watched it with uh, our, my in-laws. And for them, I think part of what was special about the film was watching it with them because Bernstein was part of their life growing up, especially as uh, New Yorkers. Uh, They grew up in the Bronx and, you know, for them, they, that was modern, that was culture. That was what was in, that was in and around. And those, you know, the school programs going, you know, going to seeing the symphony, uh, that was stuff that they did. So that on one level that was cool in a sort of a, a contextual level on another level, I thought that the film was really interesting in the way it was shot and I really enjoyed it. I really nerded out on a, on a bunch of the way that the film was uh, put together. There's one scene, I don't want I won't talk about the, the details of it, but basically the two characters are talking down, uh, I don't know, like 20, 30 yards away from the camera and down sort of through a pergola, sort of garden trellis thing, and you can't really see them. Mm-hmm. And in, in where the camera's locked off on a, on a steady shot. And yet the audio is as if we're sitting right next to them, like almost in between the two characters talking. Like that's one example of something that really blew me away in how the, the, how the visual construct of the movie told the story uh, of, uh, of, you know, of these people and the stuff that they were dealing mm. with and the idea that the film also tracks with it goes from black and white to sort of technicolor to like regular color what the kind of color that we're used to now as marking eras mm-hmm. in time and bringing us through those different sensibilities i thought all of that was brilliant and i i really enjoyed it mm. on the flip side it's a very well polished and packaged very well <laughs> uh, polished yeah <laughs> yes and it really does feel like Bradley Cooper was leaning into like this is gonna be my Oscar. Mm. And uh and, and I hate to ascribe that motive to him because I, you know, I I want to enjoy the art that he put together and and presented right. to us. And so I'm trying to not be cynical, let that little cynical voice in my mind uh, think that. Uh, so I just want to try to enjoy it on that level. But at the same time, there was something, you know, we complain a lot about when a movie is or a TV show is you know kind of sloppy with its plot mechanics or mm-hmm. you know it rattles around a little bit this was so tightly put together there's no shaker rattle in it right. and somehow that that pushes it off in a way that's yeah. kind of weird
0: you know, yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. Otherwise. I, um, I always think of there's this there's this quote that uh, Catherine Hepburn said about a young um, um, Meryl Streep. And she said, mm-hmm. you can see the gears turning. And I think feel that way about this movie. Like you just see mm-hmm. how and it's like, wow, that's really beautifully put together, but it doesn't have the the soul like I, I like a little messiness a little rawness that uh human yeah, rawness yeah. and and of course we we're, we're seeing a flawed person you know this is about yeah. it's an american icon's passion project depicting the life of another american icon i think he does do you know he transformed himself physically and enactively i uh, give him credit for that Absolutely. uh great artistic intent and pro- ne- technical proficiency i can say that <laughs> um, yeah it's very proficient yeah. Uh, yeah that's a good way to yeah. put it but yeah, I, one, one thing that bothers me about it is that I feel like I did get insight into Leonard Bernstein, but not his wife. And she's being billed as like actually the lead. But the only thing I learned about her is she used to be an actress and what, I don't know how she felt about it. I don't know. <laughs> she just got mad at her husband a lot. I know that. Um, so their fights got kind of repetitive for me. And I wish it, this had been a 40 minute short because I also loved like the little interludes where they have like a little dance interlude at one point. And mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this one probably its best chance to get an Oscar is makeup and hair. We'll talk about that more in the okay. last episode. Um, sure. Also, we can't underestimate the Netflix factor here. We uh, Netflix mm-hmm. has eleven films nominated this year, so it's got the most films nominated. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, I
1: would definitely recommend Maestro. People s- see it. Uh, I think if you're of a culture in a time where um, Bernstein was, is part of your growing up or, or part of your life in, in, in what in, in the cultural ground that he broke, it's definitely worth something seeing uh, if it's a great visual film, but I, it's not a film that I'm going to run back and, right. and pick up mm-hmm. again. You know, I, I saw it. It was, yeah. it was great. I, I'm so glad it's out there, but yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel like it has that, Dynamic force right it's
0: not like a sentimental favorite that I go back and think about, you know exactly yeah. exactly
1: yeah i i i I thought about the film, the film stayed with me for three or four days okay. after I mm-hmm. watched it, and then since then,
0: I haven't thought about it once. right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but it's it's easy to watch and it's uh i the it's beautiful cinematography would love some stills as absolutely bosses,
1: yeah. yeah and and great performances all around and and again, looking at um uh, the that that all successful people who who really do change culture or are out saying something they're not doing that alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are people in and around their lives who are an integral part of that, and to see into that was also i think very important to understand and then to understand the fact that at that time and place he could not be in out you know he could not be out as a gay man and live right. fully in the in the way that and so there's a lot of Painful compromises and Mm -hmm. things that they had to go through as a family, and so I guess you know we're 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 still litigating the movie here, (laughs) and I I think that maybe that's important because there's also this other level of this family drama, Mm -hmm. of of what do you do when you've got this outsized personality, but also this outsized personality who's having to live in this box and not being able to live uh, uh, a truth about them, and and then dealing confronting with that truth. And how that affects those relationships that you've had for all that time. So I think the film is, I think the film works on that level as
0: well. Yeah. Um, so next in line is a, it's a, one that has a lot of people love because it has a lot of heart in it. Uh, is the holdovers, which mm. ties with Maestro at five nominations. Um, the producer okay. in this case is Mark Johnson, who last won for Rain Man in 1988. Wow. Yeah. And it's about a curmudgeonly private school teacher who gets stuck with, quote unquote, the holdovers, the students forced to stay behind during Christmas break. And he and the school cook who recently lost her son and a former student at the school, they find moments of bonding and joy with, uh, yeah, together through this holiday. And... The five nominations are, today we're going to talk about Best Picture, Best Actor for Paul Giamatti, Best Supporting Actress for Dave Vine, Joy Randolph, and Best Original Screenplay, and in part three, we'll get into film editing. Um, so this one is, it's like a modern dead poet society. Okay. It's, All uh, right. it's so people like the retro prep school holiday vibes. Right. right. I mean, it's, it's considered a feel good story. I'm like, kind of. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Do you, would you put it in the same class of prep school, like with Rushmore as well, I mean, it's
0: not, kind of? a, it's not a comedy in the same way as Rushmore is like kind of a satire. No, no. Yeah. And it's, this is more earnest. It is only in as much as a prep yeah. school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Devine Joy Randolph is the biggest attention getter in discussions about this movie. And also she's like dominating award season. It's very likely she'll win. Um, Oh, really? And yeah, there's also, there was some Alexander Payne controversy because Rose McGowan made some allegations against him, but that could detract from the movie. But honestly, it seems like people are ignoring it. Um, which I find a bit sad, but anyway, um, I find it myself. It was like a pleasant but meandering film. I like it, but I'm not passionate about it. Uh, But there are a lot of people who it's a sentimental favorite of the year, including Gnarls from our Discord.
6: Howdy, award show watching Philistines. This is Gnarls here (laughs) calling in to discuss two films being considered for best picture this year, The Holdovers and Oppenheimer. First up, let's talk about The Holdovers. Directed by Alexander Payne, this Christmas-themed coming-of-age tale, combined with a midlife finding-yourself story, topped off with the character of Mary's standpoint that grounds the story and illustrates how many of the problems the two central characters face are mostly of their own creation. The feeling of intimacy this film creates between the audience and these characters make it one of my favorites of the year. But the film I will be rooting for to win Best Picture is Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. Where the holdovers is intimate and heartwarming, Oppenheimer is aloof and existential. The grandiose philosophical themes raised by the film, chief amongst them are the consequences of technology and the ethics of loyalty, make this the most thought-provoking and deep story told this past year. Uh, As far as other awards go, I would like to see Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. win uh, Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for their roles in Oppenheimer, and Divine Joy Randolph win for uh, Best Supporting Actress for her role in The Holdovers. Oh, and before I go, I want to stump for Godzilla minus (laughs) one. I really wish that (laughs) that film (laughs) was nominated for Best Picture as well. Because the Academy has discriminated against radioactive lizards for far too long. <laughs> Justice for radioactive
0: lizards. Anyways,
6: thanks for taking my call. Keep doing what y'all do, and I'll be listening. Bye.
1: Thanks, Narls. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, so we got his full spread there. We got, yeah. we got, a, we got a whole picture. So, so. Uh,
0: does this uh, make you tempted to watch The Holdovers? I think
1: if my slate wasn't so full with uh, some of the stuff that we've got to do for television coverage, I definitely would throw it into my bin of, oh, you know, this might be a nice Friday night mm-hmm. watch or a nice Saturday night watch when I've got a, a little extra time and and catching up on things. Uh, I, I don't know that I would see this in the theater. This, to me, feels very much late, like yeah. a, a yeah, yeah, well, I think it was still playing oh, not, okay. not long ago at my, my local. Um, the Giamatti, like you know, he's kind of a—I don't know—he's got some sort of weird cult status now as a as an actor, and I'm glad to see that he's gotten some a nomination, Mm -hmm. you know, and and some some recognition. He's a strong uh,
0: contender in a strong category.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's yeah for me not a film that I would necessarily rush out to see, but I should you know it's one of those movies that I should watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then the question is, is, will I ever get around to? Well,
0: if you do your best picture it. time project this year, then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I shared my feelings about it and I, I agree with Norrell's that Oppenheimer's aloof, which is maybe why I don't respond to it as much. Um, I do mm-hmm. like films with hearts and this one. Yeah. This one, satisfies but doesn't blow me out of the water in this one but i do think narles is likely to get his wish on the acting nominations killian rdj and Devine are all likely to win um so if you want to cool. see this yourself it is on peacock the streamer that david doesn't have in the us <laughs> and video on demand as well very okay, cool uh, which brings us to a film that david you have seen and i know you like very much yep. uh, american fiction another five time nominee this year so the producers on this one are Ben Leclerc Nikos Karamigios and uh, Cord Jefferson the you know writer director and Jermaine Johnson yep. And the plot is, it's about a university professor angry that his work is being treated differently due to his skin tone, invents a ghettoized character, caricature of an alter ego to turn his next book into a bestseller. Um, so the five nominations today, we'll talk about Best Picture, Best Actor for Jeffrey Wright, Best Supporting Actor for Sterling K. Brown, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And in part three, we'll get into Score.
1: Yeah. So we got to see this. We got, well, we'll talk about it in the interview. We've got an interview with uh, Ron Dawson and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that when we're in the interview, but we got to go see it with some friends. We really enjoyed it. We all had, again, like Barbie, we came out of the theater laughing and feeling uh, positive and good at the same time of like thinking about things and being like, oh yeah, like, that's something that we should be paying attention to, or we should be having conversations about, or we should be changing in some way. And not in a way of of a heaviness, but of, a I don't know, it just, it left such a warm glow after the film. Um, and, and I just love the fact that it could work on multiple levels. I heard a number of interviews with Cord Jefferson on various podcasts. Sounds like a, a great guy, and I'm really excited yeah. for him, for his career. I'm
0: definitely so more curious me. about everything he does after this, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's uh, listen to the interview. Ron Dawson, welcome to The Lorehounds. So happy to have you here talking about some Oscars. Thanks for having me, David. And nice to meet you, Alicia. Yeah, great to meet you. Very excited to have you on. We were kicking around like different people we wanted to talk to. And I was like, I got to talk to Ron. We got to get him on the podcast somewhere. <laughs> so uh, you, you said you were interested in talking about American fiction. So that's great. It's such a good film. I really had a good time. Just really quick, since you're a little bit of a new voice with us on, on Lorehounds, do you want to just give everyone just a, a couple of quick biography bullet points about you?
7: Yeah, I, I've been podcasting, blogging in the film and video world for over two decades. A uh, wow. podcast that's still online called Radio Film School. I call it uh, essentially This American Life for Filmmakers. I did that a few years ago. Very cool. I am currently, by day, I'm a content marketer for a tech company. Um, by night, so to speak, I make a lot of TikToks about, about faith, religion, deconstruction, and I wrote a satirical memoir, which is why American fiction really relates to me about right. my journey as a black man. If you can't tell by my voice, I am black. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't have that, you know. I wish I had that Lou Rawls or. or <laughs> well, you're you're not you're not playing. Well, uh, you're yeah, Jack Arley.
0: Or- <laughs> right,
7: right, right. Anyway, uh, anyway, so I, I wrote a satirical memoir called Dungeons and Do Rags: mm-hmm. One Black Nerd's Comical Quest um, about my crisis of faith, and reconnecting with my blackness. And I have a podcast by the same name with my two best friends who are always teasing me about all the things about the black community I don't know that I should know. Right, And uh, so that's, that's kind of my thing.
1: It's kind of my stint. I've, I've listened to a bunch of the episodes of uh, Dungeons and & Durags and had some good laughs for that. That was a Oh, little, good. I'm glad <laughs> you enjoyed it. You enjoyed yeah, I feel, feel very connected to you in, in a lot of meta nerd spiritual ways. So, yeah, for yeah. sure.
7: Absolutely. And I'm online everywhere. It's just Blurred Runner. But okay. uh, Blurredrunner.com dot com takes me to all the all the socials and everything. So,
1: awesome, uh, Alicia. We are here to talk about American fiction. Do you want to do a little uh, setup?
0: Yeah. So this is uh, based on the two thousand one novel Erasure by Percival Everett, and just. Borrowing this recap from Wikipedia and embellishing, it follows a frustrated novelist slash professor, uh, Dr. Thelonious Monk Ellison, who writes an outlandish satire of stereotypical black books under the fake identity Stag R. Lee, only for it to be mistaken by the liberal elite for serious literature and published to both high sales and critical uh, praise. So um, it was written and directed by Cord Jefferson, and this is his first film. His background is in journalism, and then he transitioned into TV writing, and he's worked on uh, a bunch of top shows like The Good Place and Station Eleven and, you know, really impressive resume. The Watchmen. Um, The Watchmen, Watchmen yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
7: Master and None, yeah. He has quite a pedigree. Yeah.
0: Adapted screenplay. He was a surprise winner at the BAFTAs. Uh, so, this means that this film's like picking up a little bit of steam going into the Oscars. Um, so, it de- debuted at Toronto, the film festival, and it won the People's Choice Award there. And it's like been nominated for a slew of awards since. And it's now nominated for five Oscars Best Picture, Best Actor for Jeffrey Wright, Best Supporting Actor for Sterling K. Brown, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Score. And uh, yeah, it was originally given a limited release and only went wide after the Oscar nomination, so just showing you the Oscars are still relevant. And yeah, the all-star cast is, is ridiculous. So. Yeah, the cast is crazy. Yeah, yeah. We've got like Tracee Helen Ross, Issa Rae, John Ortiz, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, Adam Brody, and Keith David, amongst others. But yeah, Ron, since this is one that you were particularly interested in talking about, obviously you have a personal connection with it. What do you think yeah. makes this Oscar special?
7: I think what I love about this movie Is obviously being a satirist myself, I'm a huge fan of satire, especially satire in film. And when it's done right and when it's done well, it really makes you have tough conversations. And what I Mm -hmm. really particularly love about American fiction is that it satirizes, obviously, the liberal elite, the, the sort of like the white liberals in this movie are so funny
1: in terms of <laughs> yeah.
7: their self importance Yes, we will
1: enjoy and- it on Long Island. Mm. I mean, I mean <laughs> that was a perfect right, right. it's such line. an
7: important film. And how they find, you know, a book about the struggles of the black man to be important. And, but at the same time, it pokes fun at bougie black folk, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, in a way that is... Actually, I think he does a good balance of showing, because it's apparent, and this is non-spoilery, right? Yeah, Not right. That there's a lot of huge spoilers in the movie, but it's apparent in the movie that Monk comes from a wealthy family. I mean, he mm-hmm. has... A woman, the used, Monk. <laughs> right, 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 and and so they have a beach house. They have a number of houses. So he grew up with wealth. So he grew up around bougie black folk, in a sense. But you can tell the relationship he has with the person who has raised them, um, who has been sort of like their house assistant for years, is is like a member of their family. Their relationship he has with his siblings, with his sister in particular, is strong. But he does have this sense of – his own sense of self-importance. And I think the points he makes in the movie are good. This idea that the only kind of black stories that people can find and take seriously are the stories where we're drug dealers and we're pimps and – or we speak in Ebonics. And he wants to write these stories that have nothing to do with that version of black America. And they're not, quote-unquote, Black stories, so people aren't as popular. But without giving too much away, he has this interaction with Issa Rae's character, who is a popular Black author, and her books are more, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, stereotypically Black. But they have interaction later on that I don't want to spoil that opens your eyes and kind of shows a different mindset. And that's one of the things that I really liked about the film, too. That it, it, that's it's actually funny, the most it's enjoyable
0: relationship. Yeah.
7: yeah, absolutely. And when I first saw the trailers for it, it reminded me a lot. I'm sure there have been comparisons made to Spike Lee's Bamboozled, which came out like 20, almost 30 years ago, I think. Um, and, and that's all about a disgruntled black executive in the TV world who wants to get out of his contract. So he makes up a, an outlandish a stereotypical TV show about two black people who wear black face. He talks about how he makes them blacker Mm -hmm. in hopes that it'll be so outlandish that he'll get fired. But America gobbles it up and makes him even more popular. And the trailers for this looks pretty much like that. But you're pleasantly surprised when you don't even get to that aspect of the story to almost the second act. And it is very much also this touching story about family dynamics and monk's relationship um uh with the eric alexander character uh and how he needs to come to grips with how he pushes people away sometimes and uh it's a good it's it's a beautiful love story
0: romantic comedy even
7: and a good family story as well as a satire
0: yeah it's got a little of everything i know david you were also particularly a fan do you have anything you wanted to add to that?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this this film. I was looking forward to seeing it. We got to. Do you think go it was out. an important film, David? An important film. I think it's an. It. <laughs> I think it's an important film because, for me, it was a it's a return to film that is mm. not IP based. It's not big explosions. Not heavy on the visual. Fi- it's just a bunch of people talking and dealing with their lives in a Mm. very real and grounded way. And so for me, it was important, like that regard, because I was like, oh, cool. We just, we had a double date with some other family friends of ours. We, we, our kids took care of each other. We went out, uh, had, you know, a bite to drink and then went and saw the movies. And it was just such a lovely return to form. And it was just such a fun and engaging film that, that made us laugh But then also as not a black man, it was a conversation about race that I really felt included in. I felt I was part of the conversation as opposed to observing the conversation or listening to the conversation. But I actually got to be in dialogue with the characters and that felt really refreshing. And I think maybe for uh, a lot of reasons, that's one of the things that has really endeared me to the film is is that we get to have this conversation together and it's and like you said the satire is really cutting it's mm-hmm. there's some hilarious lines and then there's this really touching family drama and something that a lot of us are dealing with is aging parents and how do we navigate those spaces how do we deal right. with money and and money mm-hmm. when it relates to family and The the stuff with Sterling K. Brown, man, what a performance and what a way to address questions of sexuality and race and um, and uh, class. So it 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 packages it all up, and none of it is ever none of it ever felt to me like it's shoving it in my face, or like you know feel these issues or deal with this. It it was it was a very grounded, realistic. Look at at modern life and the complexities of modern modern life that had a lot of heart and and listeners of of the lorehounds know that one of my favorite things to talk about is you know one the only right. true story which is <laughs> here it comes is the the human heart in conflict with itself and mm. to see sterling or not to see uh, Jeffrey Wright's character dealing with his internal struggle and his conflict and when his, well, I don't want to say anything, the, but the resolution of that, it, it's very authentic and very real and right. it. it was very touching. And so as a, as an all around movie, I can say from a directorial standpoint, I can kind of feel, I've heard a, a few interviews with, um, with, Cord. With, uh, with Cord and he's great. He's very eloquent and he talks a lot about his experience of, of being a first time filmmaker yeah. And there was a few times in the film, and maybe, Ron, you saw this, or uh, Alicia, where I just thought the lighting was off or the staging, the blocking was a little little awkward. And I, at first I was like, oh, no, I hope this doesn't. But then it completely, I was like, oh, I was fine with it all yeah. from a filmmaker standpoint. I don't think it's going to, you know, uh, don't see it for that. See it for the characters. It's such a lovely character drama. And I really hope that Cord sounds like he learned a lot. And oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm he definitely did. Hoping he's yeah. going to be bringing first some new feature, titles. so
0: a strong way to enter, you know the uh, huge movie sphere. Uh, but of course, yeah, he had he had all those great shows. The writing, at least on you know behind him to help him. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think there's a reason why this film it was nominated for the for acting, um, writing, and music awards. And I agree, those are the places where it shines.
1: Yeah. What did you think, Alicia?
0: For me, this was—I've, you know, watched all the films, and when I rank them, it's—it's uh, it's in the—it's in the middle of the pack for me. I okay. think it's an enjoyable film. Um, for me, the conversation wasn't as new. I think for as for a lot of people who are blown away, just because I am a writer and I've had a lot of these conversations over the years with friends, so I was like, well, this is well represented in ideas that have been expressed to me before. So. But I think that the the acting was phenomenal. I especially, I'm all over the place with, with who I want to win best actor because it's such a competitive category. But at the moment, thinking about it, I'm like, I kind of, I'm on the Jeffrey Wright train at the moment because mm, he yeah. had to play basically two characters in this. And that was that's right. by far the best part of the, the movie for me it was just like seeing him struggle with that and like switch back and forth. And yeah, I think that he did a, a really brilliant job.
7: No, no, I think that- that uh, i think that's a great point in terms of him playing two characters because he's plays his main character but then he plays mm-hmm. this this pretend character stag l right or something like that yeah who's stag like early, this, yeah stag early, who's this who's this you know ex-gangster from the hood who's on the <laughs> run and so he has to you know, talk more like he's He changes from the way he walks. Yeah. The way, you're right, he changes And yeah, he puts on this whole persona and he does it very realistically. And it's something that, you know, within the black community, there's this thing called code switching, which is where you change mm-hmm. how you talk when you're on, among white people versus when you're among other people. So I think there's a little bit of that that speaks a lot to something in the black community. But I think the point you made, David, how you felt invited into the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times- these type of movies can feel didactic and uh, where the person in one particular demographic may feel like they're being either spoken down to or they're being spoken at or they're being electric to or whatever. And it's, sometimes it's difficult to thread that needle to create something that can criticize one demographic, but still make that demographic feel invited to the conversation, mm. which I think is something that's hard to do on paper. But then also, to. Directed, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's also the reason that it works on that level is because it's also showing, you know, disparity within the Black community. It's also criticizing yes. the Issa character to a certain degree. And, you know, yeah. uh, so but that then makes But she's it-
1: great. She's giving a great representation of the right. fact that she's responding to the market. And mm-hmm. what's wrong with yep. that? Like, there's yep. nothing wrong with writing to right. popular fiction, right? And yeah, so- and some of the things
7: you learn about her story, the the book that she wrote- even changes your mindset because we look at the trailer and, and we first see her when she's introduced. You do have a certain uh, stereotype that's placed on her as an author and the kind of work that she writes. And then as you start seeing her interaction with some of the other authors, when you start seeing her, this interaction that she has with Jeffrey Wright's character and some of the things she reveals, you're, you, you feel a little bit of shame like, oh, wow. Um, that's something I didn't think about. And I think that made her character more three-dimensional. She wasn't this mm-hmm. two-dimensional mm-hmm. stereotype cookie-cutter um stereotype that you thought when right. you if you just saw the trailer or in the first, you know, half of the film.
1: And I think yeah, that's it's one of the satire with depth. Yeah. 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 And I think that's one of the, the thing, even with the secondary characters, we get uh, a little bit of uh three-dimensionality to them, a little entree yeah. into their into their deeper emotional lives with the housekeeper and then right. Know, the right person that she gets. We 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 understand them to a degree that we would normally just get a flat two-dimensional pass by. Yeah. And I think so that's the a great whole point. movie just un- keeps unfolding in that way, kind of like a little origami structure. You're like, oh wow, oh, oh wow, oh, oh wow. You know, and you just mm-hmm. keep discovering these little things in it. They keep rolling out different stuff. So yeah, I I really you know on the question of what Oscars that it's going for, I, it's hard for me to comment necessarily on the best picture or the best actor, mm-hmm. um, because it is it's tough and there's a, there's a lot going on and I'm just not as a uh, filmy in in that regard. But gosh, Sterling K. Brown, mm-hmm. that would be great for him to to win an Oscar for sure, right. and it would be great for an adapted screenplay because that would just land right on chords.
0: Um, you know, for what he's done. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's true. Actually, no, I went poor things for adapted screenplay. But okay. yeah, this is also, it's a, it's it's a worthy contender and it could win, especially yeah. you see the BAFTA did. Uh, so Ron, do you have any other favorite films this year um, that you saw yeah, or that yeah. you're rooting for Oscar night? Yeah, for sure.
7: Uh, I would say that one, I would love for American fiction to get something I could see it getting adapted screenplay I could see Jeffrey Wright or Sterling K. Brown. May, Jeffrey Wright may be hard. I think it's uh, it's a tough category because he's in he's for he's for lead actor, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and so so he's up that, against Killian Murphy. Yeah,
7: yeah. Given who's in that race, that would be hard. Sterling K. Brown mm-hmm. maybe. Is Sterling K. Brown is he up against? Is um the movie about the the mansion in, in- oh
0: Saltburn? Saltburn. Um, yeah, no, nobody. It's helper didn't oh, yeah, get nominated that one for got any totally Oscars. Shut out yeah, yeah, that was surprising. I, I really like that movie. Yeah, I was
7: disappointed with the the nominations that Barbie didn't get. I understand mm-hmm. both sides. I don't think it's going to win. I would be excited if Barbie won. That was one of my favorite movies from last year. Yeah, I too. thought it was again another great satire. Honestly, I wasn't as excited. I liked Oppenheimer. I'm yeah. not. I wasn't as big on it as everyone else seemed I'm to with be. You. Um the
1: only I haven't seen it yet. It's it's it, on my list of things to see in the next yeah, three, yeah. A week or so.
7: The, I think the only thing left on my list to see is Maestro and um Poor Thing. Although I have not been a fan of Lanthimos of other work. I just
0: <gasps> I love he's one of my favorite not, directors. I, I'm not on the Lanthimos train. <laughs> I cannot get through dog
7: tooth. I remember okay. my first heard about dog tooth was, was on film spotting way back when it came out. And the way they spoke about it, I was like, wow, this must be an amazing film. I was watching it, and i like, what, what are people seeing in this film? What am I missing <laughs> about this film? Uh, and so, but I'm hoping... But
0: have you watched The Favourite or The Lobster?
7: I, Those are I've the seen, two I haven't seen The Lobster. I've seen, the, I've seen most of The Favourite. Okay. It's been a while, though. Most of. <laughs> most of. <laughs> most of. I don't, I don't remember I've seen the whole thing yet. Okay. Because I'm just not, I, I just don't mm-hmm. connect with, and sometimes a certain filmmaker's sensibility does just does. Yeah, no, with that's, me. Fair. that's fair. But I have a feeling that maybe Poor Things would be different. So mm-hmm. I'm, def, I'm looking forward to seeing Poor Things and seeing how I respond to it. So, but in terms of, and and I thought the performances and Anatomy of the Fall were, were just amazing. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I was disappointed again. I was disappointed that. Um, uh, that Robbie Margot Robbie Margot yeah. Robbie didn't get nominated but I can understand the actress from
0: uh, Sandra uh, Huler, yeah
7: yeah Sandra Huller being nominated she was amazing at that so but you know I, I think this is it, it would be I would love another Moonlight situation where you know Oppenheimer is <laughs> they the, the wrong land, one <laughs> right? well no not necessarily that but where Oppenheimer is yeah. the La La Land and <laughs> American if American fiction or Barbie won, I'd be I'd jump out of my seat. If Oppenheimer won, I'd give a polite golf clap.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. Thank you.
1: Roland, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Thanks for I'm having looking me. Looking forward to We're going to have you on for the True Detective season wrap-up. Can't wait. I have some thoughts. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of thoughts. I've been, my my outline keeps getting bigger and bigger. But depending on when this gets released versus when that gets released, they there may be some little overlap or whatnot. But definitely find you over there. And I know you and I were chit-chatting about Mr. and Mrs. Smith because I have a suspicion. That's my TV obsession mm. of the moment. Right. I figured as much. It was so good. The <laughs> finale was phenomenal. I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thanks again for making some time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. That was uh, a lot of fun talking with Ron. Ron's going to be on with us for our True Detective season wrap up. And I think we're going to uh, maybe, I might be able to get a chance to talk with him about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Nice. Uh, a really fun show. So. What did you, uh, what did you think of, of this outside of the the interview comments? Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked about the, there's relatively nuanced commentary, uh, on expectations based on race. Um, and I think that it's, they, they do a good job of, of, of representing that this isn't a, a black or white issue, ha ha ha. But you know, <laughs> uh, it's not, yeah. um this is that there's a, a spectrum of human experience and it's mm-hmm. easy for us to forget that because it's easier to think about, put things in boxes, you know, it's less cognitive right. load on our brains. Um, and this is yeah, right, right. This film challenges that, and I appreciate it for that for sure. And also the yeah, other's dark humor, but it's really more of a drama, I, which I didn't expect going in. Um, mm-hmm. but like I said, in the interview, Jeffrey Wright's dual performance blew me away and he's now, He's overtaken uh, Coleman Domingo uh, to be my favorite in uh, the acting category.
1: Got it. Okay, I think for for a first time out to get nominated is great, and then whether it, it brings home anything, we'll we'll see. But yeah, it'd be great to see um, uh, Jeffrey Wright. He's been such a, a yeoman. You know, he's just been in so many. He's just he delivers solid performances wherever he shows up. He's really professional, a real professional, and and it's great to see him get a nod, you know, and, and to see something, um, you know, hopefully for it. Yeah. So you can
0: watch that one if you want to see it yourself on video on demand and eventually it'll land on prime. sounds good. All right. What is next? Another one, five nominations, popular number this year. (laughs) This is one that (laughs) I think a lot of our listeners might, might just be starting to hear about now. It's, uh, only, yeah.
1: I am all yeah the same yeah I didn't really hear about it until right just all yeah the so it's it's stuff.
0: called the zone of interest and. Uh, it- the award for best picture would go to James Wilson, who's most famous for producing Dances with Wolves, the bodyguard. Um, and although it's a Jonathan Glazer production, he's the director. Um, the plot is that we experience the perspective of a, the real life Hus family, the father of which ran Auschwitz and designed the heartbreakingly efficient gas chambers, uh, which you see in the film. They're not used, well, And okay, no spoilers. Uh, Their house is, but it's, yeah, you, their house is separated from the camp by this high wall. And so we see the family going about their days Mm -hmm. and they're lounging in their lush gardens and paddling in the river. And we only get like the flashes of violence going on in the camp um, and the terror responses to it drifting over the wall in the form of background sounds. And then we see this, the smokestack light up at night. Um, So it's, it, one of the things that makes it so remarkable is this unique perspective where we see this family that's, they are disturbingly normal, but also showing how easy it is for people who seem normal on the surface to just turn off their empathy and justify horrific things. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, five nominations today, we're going to talk about the best picture, best director and best adapted screenplay. And in part two, we'll talk about international film, which is likely to win and and part three we'll talk about sound, which is also a strong contender for the reasons I just talked about. Um, so, David, what if anything have you heard about this one so far?
1: Okay, absolutely nothing. Uh, it, it's uh, I, it's been around. I have not uh, up until you know your plot synopsis here, and then just a quick look at IMDb. I had um, no idea even of the the subject uh, matter, and. Um, Yeah, uh, it seems like a a confronting film. We talk a lot about Mm -hmm. the banality of evil, or we have talked a lot about the banality, this idea of the banality of evil, on 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 different shows that we've uh, been podcasting about and stuff like that. So this feels like it fits right in that sort of conversational space, and uh, it's um, a movie where it seems to be one of those movies where it's an important part of our film literacy in terms of maintaining an awareness of what mm-hmm. can happen when we check out and we don't pay attention to what's going on and before you know it uh you know uh, there's a lot of evil and atrocity that is uh, uh being done right you know just just around the outside right. of our our sight line. and if we just turn our heads a little bit uh, right yeah uh, yeah I
0: biting my tongue, but there's especially this interaction between, you know, which characters are are willing to uh, look away and which are not, you know, uh, becomes a very interesting question. Um, So yeah, this is a German language film, but it's actually a Polish collaboration with the US and UK. And it was the official UK submission to the international category. Um, So it's one of two international films in this category, um, non-English language films. Right, yeah. which is not Three, a normal you thing, yeah. right? Yeah, no, it's definitely getting more, oh, wow. Yeah, like I said, there's more diverse windows into other worlds, which I am very happy about. And so there's been some concerted efforts to diversify things at the Oscars. It hasn't uh, always worked out in every category, best director, um, but, <laughs> but you're definitely <laughs> seeing a lot of the results and I'm very happy about it. Uh, so, yeah. It's yeah, looking at Nazis from new angle. Um, I definitely, if you are interested in that concept, also check out the TV show "The Man in the High Castle" on Prime. Um, theaters, it's it is one that's worth seeing in the theater if you're thinking about it. We, it is available on VOD okay. now, but uh, it's an experience seeing it with other people. Uh, most theaters were completely silent. I was surprised to hear because mine was chuckling quietly at the dark comedic elements um like they're just some of the things mm, okay. they say you're just like what the um and it's also it's right. very notable for the way jonathan glazer filmed this one he's he did uh, i don't know if you ever saw beneath the skin or birth or yeah Mm-mm, um mm. he likes to plonk a camera down and let the action unfold before it and in this case he went so far as to have right. um hidden cameras so people keep calling it like Nazi house, big brother, basically. (laughs) Um, And and also this is, yeah. I mean, just paying the Alexander Pades, he's only done four feature films over the past 24 years and they are all so different from each other. I just watched his first one last night, Sexy Beast. And it's like a Guy Ritchie film. But anyway, um, it's right.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at the trailer a little bit here. It has a very distinctive uh, colorized look. Very bright and sunny. The camera moves are, are, yeah, well, it's a, mm-hmm. but there's a pallor right. to it's it as well. That. There's a there's a scheme to it, yeah, that I think is you know obviously an intentional right. emotional push. Um, but yeah, the the camera moves are all very locked and uh, mm-hmm. uh, simple, which tells, which right. does something to us. We're an observer. Right? We're a we fly on the wall. To the visual imagery,
0: yeah, so. and, and does that make us complicit exactly. as well? You know. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's and that's what we want from film is that the the medium is mm-hmm. part of the storytelling right the the way that you tell the story technically like that
0: yeah absolutely and um and i have to credit so sandra huler she's I call her the lead actress in this. She was almost nominated for uh, best supporting actress for this because she's already nominated for lead actress in the next movie we're going to talk about after this. Um, but I, for me, okay. this is my preferred performance of the two. It's, it's not a character that you're going to like. She plays, you know, the wife of uh, the commandant. Um, and. Okay. But I, it's just such an interesting, she is such a chameleon actress. Um, yeah.
1: No, that's great. Okay. Not yeah. familiar well, with Well, yeah, her. She, so. so
0: she's one of the best actress nominees uh, this year for the next film, also nominated five times Anatomy of a Fall. <laughs> 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 um, so, right. Anatomy of a Fall, produced by Marie Ang Luciani and David Theon. And the plot is it's, the, it's following the life of a German woman played by Sandra Huller who has moved to her French husband's uh-huh. hometown. And yeah, her life's torn apart when he dies unexpe- unexpectedly with only their visually impaired son and their dog as potential witnesses. So uh, the five nominations are for today. We're going to talk about best picture, best actress, best director for Justine Trier, and best original screenplay. And in part three, we'll get into editing. Um, so have you heard much about this one yet? This isn't.
1: Just the, the, mm-hmm. uh, just the title, I'm just aware of the title. And I think. Maybe when we first started talking about the Oscar project, I might have, uh, dipped into it a little bit to see, you know, what, what, you know, how, how fast should I go out and see, should I see it? And how quickly should I put it on my list? And, uh, yeah, I didn't, it didn't jump out at me um, in that way. And I don't know that it would be something that I would go to the mm-hmm. theater to see,
0: I to see but in the theater.
1: I mean, yeah. it's
0: in the top. It's a 10 good movie, but I don't think top. you have to see it in the theater per se. Yeah. And,
1: mm-hmm. and the fact that it's being nominated for best picture, that, yeah. <laughs> that's got to mean something, right? So like, no, I, I no, it's, it's, it's a genuinely
0: riveting courtroom drama, which, you know, it, the mileage uh-huh. may vary on courtroom dramas. I'm not usually into it, but I found this one especially interesting because it it's, uh, sheds light on the unreliability of witness testimonies and like all the heartbreaking okay. nuance of these kinds of investigations, especially with kids involved. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an a exploration of the messy realities of even loving relationships, which is a favorite subject of Trier, the uh, director, who has, I since. Okay. This film, it's in like the upper middle of my t- rankings of these 10 films. Uh, but it was enough that made mm-hmm. me want to go out and watch all of the rest of Justine Trier's films. And now oh, she's wow. become one of my favorite uh, directors. So this is actually okay. in the middle of my ranking of her films. But um, it, yeah, it's, okay. uh, I, I she she's someone who, she definitely was influenced by Cinema Verité. You see it especially in her early work. And she, um she really sees, she likes the messiness inside people, you know, she has a character in an okay. early film who says, I don't trust anyone who's too nice. A hundred percent nice, you know, <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> would you put it into a whodunit category there. or is it, or is it more uh, of a family I mean, the, drama? The whodunit
0: aspect is, is definitely Which, there. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Is that, but the it's mean, not the main, uh, no, uh, kinetic no, energy. Um,
0: I would say okay. the main thing okay. is, so for me, one of the things that I really identified with was, so she's a German woman living in France. And so when she's talking to the police and stuff, she French is her third language, English is her second. So she keeps diverting to English to talk about these very serious, nuanced topics. And... um They keep, you know, they're like en français, s'il vous plaît, and I I feel for her so much, you know, that you're 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 struggling, you're (laughs) trying to defend yourself, you're trying to explain your entire life stuff that you know wouldn't otherwise be part any of anybody's business um, in your third language, Uh, yeah,
1: right, right, which in a language which has nuance and uh shades of meanings and things like that so as all languages do but yeah you know with with french definitely yeah
0: so this one yeah this one's half in english um so it's it it does make it accessible to a wider audience uh it's i have to say the prosecuting lawyer is one of the most punchable villains of the year and (laughs) but the real star (laughs) of the marketing campaign is messy the dog so he's (laughs) he's been showing up at luncheons and stuff and uh Um, he he could actually do a lot of good for, for this film's chances. Uh, yeah. Uh, Um, fair enough. And yeah, if you want to see it yourself, it's out on video on demand, which, which brings us to one of my top two, probably tied for first films of the year. I may have mentioned it once or twice before. (laughs) It's a little (laughs) film with a lot of heart, past lives. So it's produced by uh, David Hinujasa, Christine Vachon, and Pamela Koffler. And um, Mm -hmm. it's about, it follows the life of a woman who moved from Korea to Canada as a girl, and then later to New York City, and especially where her life intersects with the two most significant men in it. And it's sadly only got two nominations, deserves all the nominations. Um, but so we'll talk about both today, best picture and best original screenplay. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this just about everyone I've spoken to feels passionately about it. I, I, of course, not everyone, you know, some people are going to connect to it more. Uh, but it's it's really it's about a woman living between two worlds and she loves both worlds. She's loved by both, but is also never fully part of either. So that's really rung a bell. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who live, you know, live their lives that same way. It'll definitely connect with you um, and fill you with cleansing tears as you experience how beautiful different kinds of love can be. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's not really sad as much as it is cathartic and like just beautifully human. So it's an American film, but half in Korean. So uh, yeah, love the. Increasing representation of Korean American film at the Oscars. So pouring one out for Minari with Steven Yeun, who should have won International in twenty twenty one. And I know someone else who mm-hmm. feels the same way is Paulo of the Death Racers podcast.
8: All right, let's listen to Paulo. Hey, Alicia. Hey, Holt Lorehound listeners, my name is Paulo, and I'm the host of the Oscars Death Race podcast, the show where I try to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. This is my fifth year doing the Oscars Death Race, and I'm here to talk about past lives and why this is arguably the best film of the year for me. Mild spoilers for the film ahead. So first off, looking at the film on just its own merits, uh, for its feature directorial debut, Celine Song Knocks Out of the Park. As is typical for first-time indie films, it's relatively small in scope and relatively intimate. Um, there really are only three characters with the bulk of the so-called drama being an exploration of their inner emotions and feelings and how they relate to each other over time. It was pitched to me as though it was a K-drama, but with more Western sensibilities, which, by the way, is how I was able to convince my wife, uh, an avid consumer of all things Korean, uh, to watch it with me. Um, however, rather than leaning into potentially tropey space of melodrama with a former love coming to quote-unquote rescue the female main character from her current partner, uh, it instead explores the ideas of what could have been without devaluing the real lived experience that its characters are going through. Uh, there is so much depth to explore in that concept alone, and Celine Song does so much with so little in her screenplay to really convey that question and raise that questions within the audience that it's really a sight to behold. For me specifically as an Asian American, past lives really takes on a whole other level of meaning as an exploration of what it means to be what I call a third-culture kid. Someone not quite in one culture, not quite in another, but somewhere in between. You know, as a second-generation son of immigrants from the Philippines who also spent some number of years living in Manila, I felt that I've always had one foot both as in American culture and also in Filipino culture. Obviously, there's historical overlap there, but also a lot of cases where, you know, I always feel like I'm the outside looking in and can't really take a side. Um, you know, for example, the scene where Greta Lee des- describes Taeho Yu's character as just so Korean, but she doesn't quite have the words to elaborate on what exactly that means. Uh, is something that I felt before. Uh, similarly, that mirrors how later, like shortly after, John Magaro's character tells Greta's character that she, he catches her sleep talking in Korean, and he knows that there's a part of her that he's never really going to fully understand. That's just one specific moment where, it, even though it's framed through the lens of the Asian-American experience and the, Im- and the immigrant experience, it can also be relatable, I think, to anyone who's not Asian, who's had that feeling of being out of the loop with a partner and kind of knowing that you know, there's part of you that I'll never fully know, but you can still make the choice to be with that partner. You know, I saw The Death Race five years ago when I wanted to watch all the other films to make sure that Parasite really was deserving of being Best Picture winner. Since then, we've had films like Minari and Everything Ever All at Once carry on that banner of Asian and Asian-American representation at the highest level of recognition within the film industry, something that's only exploded since uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And you know, I'm pleased to see that past life carries on that torch this year alongside films like Godzilla Minus One and Perfect Days. You know, while the odds for it to win Best Picture aren't to the best and you know it has a tough race behind uh holdovers and the an of a fall for original screenplay for me it absolutely is one of the defining films of 2023 and definitely worth seeing both for the first time if you've never seen it before and for yet another time if you already wow have, have we convinced uh, you to watch it
1: <laughs> thanks paulo
8: yes absolutely this is going <laughs> way up on
1: my list uh definitely gonna talk to my spouse and uh try to get this into our rotation we just finished Monsieur Spade uh on uh, AMC and that was uh, a lot of fun. And so we've got a little little zo- little gap. I think I can I can get this one in there really quick. Uh did you see yeah. Pachinko yeah. on Apple TV a couple of years ago? Would you put it in that vibe category um, of that I mean a this bit? is more
0: yeah, I mean this I is more modern um but it is it is wistful okay. in that sure, way. Sure. It's wistful. Yeah. Um but it's okay pachinko i guess did i cry during pachinko i don't know but this one like yeah. You I know. i never cried during pachinko but i was right. constantly on
1: the
2: verge right of, yeah i of guess I, the, I would, I would know, put
0: it in the feelings. same way and of course pachinko is also okay. it's uh korean japanese perspective in that case so it is about you know the yeah. korean experience yeah. elsewhere but a, a different complicated relationship anyway um but yeah i just to quote myself on Twitter, like I just, <laughs> so <sorry>, I, the <laughs> first time right after I saw it, I said, it filled my heart until it cracked and memories spilled out. And then four months later, I posted, sometimes I'm just sitting there trying to do admin or whatever. And I think about the movie past lives and it fills my heart with love and ache and my eyes with warm tears and then normal life resumes. So so obviously this film <laughs> left, wow. I mean, I don't want to oversell it because not obvious nobody's ever going to always respond to a film in the same way, but, uh, sure, this yeah. for me is, and yeah. many others is a really meaningful film. When we look at the,
1: when we look at the lineup, of all the the films that we have here, there are some serious films that are really examining the human experience to just, right. <laughs> you know, give it a broadest category, but killers looks at things, poor things, American fiction, past lives, Barbie, all of this stuff are, are very cutting examinations, uh, you know, that, that peer into they, they, you know, these other films that I have not seen yet. Right. sounds like they're just peering into our souls and that's, I don't know I, I kind of feel good about this year's Oscars in in that regard mm-hmm. for for the top ten. It's not a lot of the, the every single film seems right. like it's saying something and it's trying to move. I think a they're all worthy
0: nominees, even Oppenheimer.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> very cool. yeah, past lives is, is going up there because i I definitely am in for that uh vibe, that kind of vibe of a movie and I do. Really appreciate a lot of what's coming out of, uh, out of Korea in terms of entertainment. I've got some mm-hmm. train to Busan was amazing. The kingdom. was, those are two yeah. zombie-related uh, ones, Korean
0: horror uh, is there are just others, but
1: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's, it's really awesome to uh, yeah. see well, like, a yeah. best picture. I mean,
0: the um, yeah. I mean, and of course, uh, Bong Joon-ho's, um, Parasite won. For A few years sure. ago, but yeah. I do think that, that it's travesty. This wasn't that's nominated right. for directing for Celine Song and acting for Greta Lee, Tao uh, Yu, and John McGarrow. And um, I thought it was also one of the low-key best uses of sound in film this year. So I would have liked to see in that category. But okay. yeah, that's not going to win Best Picture. Probably not. It, this could be a dark horse just because of the sentimental attachment many people have to it. But I wanted sure. to win Best Original Screenplay or We Riot. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if you want to see
1: it, you it. whereas fiction is a mm-hmm. best adapted right right so, this so is they're best not original. up
0: against each other okay. right um cool. but uh you can see right. it yourself Sounds on video on demand and that was that was the last Excellent. of the okay top 10 uh, do you have yeah that's a lot there's some
1: there's some really <laughs> it's a strong strong do you have year anyone I
0: you're rooting for saying.
1: uh i can definitely Um, no, well, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think American fiction rises to the level of a best. I think, um, I, I would guess that it's going to be, I I would pull for Barbie or Oppenheimer probably. And Mm -hmm. again, I haven't seen, um, Oppenheimer yet. Uh, but from, it's pretty solid across the board. So yeah, I don't know those those two feel like uh, a good uh, you know a Barbenheimer Oscars would uh, seem to make sense
0: yeah and and I just have to shout out some other great movies you might want to check out that just missed the boat but would have been worthy nominees also Saltburn May December which did get um uh at least one nomination, Uh, All of Us Strangers, Spider-Verse, which of course was nominated in animation. And I know others would say The Color Purple, The Iron Claw, which I haven't gotten to see yet, Origin, Same, and Air, uh, the Nike story one. So those are all, it's been a good year for film. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, feels like we're back. Feels like film is back.
0: All right, cool, well, let's take
1: a little break and then when we come back, we can talk about some of the other headliner awards. And we are back. All right, Alicia, let's talk about some of the other headliner awards. Uh, I think we want to start off with the acting prizes. You want to walk us through
0: this? Everybody's favorite. So, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: (laughs) best picture and then the best actors, right? Yeah.
0: This is what we care about. But we'll give you reasons to care about the others later. Okay. (laughs) For now, let's get into acting. (laughs) Uh, So, let's start with best performance by an actor in a leading role. And the nominees are... Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein in Maestro, Coleman Domingo as Bayard Rustin in Rustin, Paul Giamatti as the fictional Paul Hunnam in The Holdovers, Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright as fictional character Thelonious Monk Ellison, a.k.a. Stag R. Lee, in American fiction. So, yeah. um, the, what the only... What is this? Yeah, go for it the only uh, movie that we haven't talked about yet so the only one that's not a best picture nominee is rustin
1: right which um, is what i was going to ask about yeah. I, I know nothing about this film like i know okay. that it's a uh, i know there's a title there's a movie called rustin out there
0: Right yeah, on Netflix, so easy to watch if you want. And this is the only th- um, thing that it was nominated for. It was directed by George C. Wolf from a screenplay by Julian Brees and Dustin Lance Lent- Black. And it's about Bayard Rustin, who was he was one of the most important civil rights um, organizers in yeah, the movement. He's one of the main people who was behind figures like Martin Luther King Jr. But he was repeatedly pushed out of the movement, and his legacy was all but erased because he was gay. Okay. Um, he was also a Quaker with past ties to communism, but it was mostly the gay thing that's caused trouble for him in the sixties okay. because he lived out and openly, you know, he was like, I'm going to live my life. Okay. Um, and this is the story of how he made his greatest achievement, which is the 1963 million man March on Washington, how he made it happen. Wow. Um, so yeah, I have to full disclosure. He grew up in my hometown, which is not at all addressed in this movie. But, okay. but I know it. We have a high school <laughs> named after it. I'm like, go, rest and go. <laughs> Does this Coleman, sound up your alley at all?
1: Um, yeah, Coleman Domingo's great, and again, it's a, a history that you know, uncovering or bringing history forward uh, that we that is there that we don't have access to normally. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I've never. I, I knew nothing about.
0: Yeah. Most Rustin. people don't. I wouldn't yeah. if I wouldn't, if he weren't from my hometown, you know, cause right. it's not someone who gets talked about. Um, but yeah, Coleman Domingo, he dissolves into the role. So before I switched Allegiances to Jeffrey Wright, Coleman Domingo was my pick for this okay. category. <laughs> um, it's just like everything from the voice to the mannerisms. And it's it's especially interesting because we can contrast it with, he, Coleman Domingo was also in The Color Purple and played a very different character there. So okay. it shows how diverse he is if the Kang rumors end up coming true. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah,
1: I, so this is a tough category, uh, I I, again, I haven't seen Oppenheimer, so, but I I can see Killian Murphy, you know, bringing it forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Giamatti's is going to rise. Again, I haven't seen that one either, but I don't know that that's going to rise
0: high enough up. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um. So just sorry, I just have to give a, just a little more love to Rustin. Okay. Um so I just have to say that it's it if you are interested in watching it, it's like jaunty and high energy, I find it to be. Okay. But I have to also quote um NS Rising from the AODR Discord, the Academy of Death Racers Discord, um, who says, as someone who used to work in nonprofit logistics, I loved that movie for being so hyper specific in details for the March. <laughs> <laughs> LOL like, yes, babe, you picked those right sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> And it was great. It shows you how much goes into it and why they needed a man like him, even though they found his lifestyle distasteful. Um, Got it. Yeah. And uh, also, fun fact, Best Supporting Actress lead fave, uh, D- Divine Joy Randolph, also shows up as Mahalia Jackson and sings like the woman can sing. Wow. So okay. uh, worth checking out for that. But yeah. Okay. Tough category. A lot of biopic love here. Yeah. Could be anybody's game, but if you're placing bets, Killian Murphy is your safest bet. Right. Um, no Leonardo DiCaprio, but he's been himself loudly cam- campaigning for Lily Gladstone instead. and okay. yeah, all- Barry Keoghan for Saltburn, Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers, Zac Efron for The Ironclaw are also the super strong, uh, potentially considered snubs for this category this year. Okay. All right. Turning our attention to the actresses, uh, the nominees are Annette Benning as Diana Nyad in Nyad, Lily Gladstone as Molly Burkhart in Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller as uh, f- fictional character Sandra Voiter in Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan as Felicia Montalegra in Ma- Maestro, and Emma Stone as the fictional Bella Baxter in Poor Things. Um, okay. And do you know anything about Nyad? Nothing. <laughs>
1: Again, another one I know. It's another no biopic. Idea. Okay. It's
0: another, yeah. Um, Interesting. So one, a lot of biopic stuff. A lot things. of biopic love this year. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's directed by Elizabeth Chai Vasarhelyi and Jimmy Chin and their fiction feature film directorial, directorial debut. And it was written by Julia Cox um, based on the 2015 memoir Find A Way and it has two nominations this and Supporting Actress for Jodie Foster Um, you can watch it on Netflix if you're curious it's a biopic following Diana Nyad as she makes multiple attempts to swim from Cuba to Florida um, the final one in her 60s with the help of her best friend Bonnie and others and I, I agree with who was saying that Danny, I agree. I did not enjoy this film. Um, I, I think Jodie Foster did a good job. Uh, I know a lot of people are happy with Benning's performance. Someone pointed out the physicality of it with the swimming and everything, but I, I didn't like her performance. Um, and there's a lot of controversy about this person because uh, over she made a lot of anti-trans statements, but also okay. she has a history of potentially lying. Like you can find websites online where people break down stories she's told over and over and why they can't possibly be true. Like lying about having met uh, survivors of concentration camps, things like that. So I didn't know this stuff after watching, but it adds to my distaste of the film. Um, okay, but a lot of people think it's really inspiring and uplifting. So okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, the race is basically between Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. Um the first would be a historic win the first uh, the first Native American woman nominated for this category uh, So so would also be the first winner. But I my picks Emma Stone because she, you know she has to do this performance with a lot of unusual choices playing a baby brain in an adult body and then we right. start to evolve over the course of the film into an entirely new character. I think she really knocked it out of the part.
1: Right. Whereas Lily Gladstone's character sort of is on a slow, uh, yeah, uh, in in induced uh, demise. Right. Like you know, not not something of her, uh, not having agency in it. Actually, having her right. agency taken away and uh, slowly being poisoned. Uh, exactly. So, but yeah, yeah, she was a. I think in Killers of the Moon, Lily Gladstone is a. Uh, she just occupies. Uh, a kind of space whenever she comes on screen you you're pre- right. you're aware of her, her presence on
0: screen her face is captivating i watched another film uh, the unknown country that she mm-hmm. was a producer in it's kind of like a documentary loose narrative um hybrid and it's it's a very slow film with beautiful you know driving it's about her taking a road trip through okay. uh, the west um but it's her face is just captivating she just has such a presence yeah
1: cool Right on. Okay.
0: Um, Yeah, but yeah, I'm always going to choose the stories about women who reinvent themselves over the stories about narrowly drawn (laughs) wives. (laughs) um, Of course, the biggest snubs in this category, Margot Robbie, and also Greta Lee for Past Lives, Fantasia, Barino for The Color Purple, and Natalie Portman for May, December. And yeah, this could have been Sandra Huller. uh, She could have been in this category too for The Zone of Interest.
1: So we haven't really talked about the Margot Robbie uh, issue. Whereas, um, Ryan Gosling was given a supporting role nomination and, and, and what's happened in the movie is happening in real life where the men are getting centered more than, than the women, you know, even though, and so it's, it's frustrating and head scratching when you look at that performance and you look at that movie to to not get a best actor yeah uh, nomination is is a it's a real head scratcher
0: yeah i mean i guess the argument is that it's a strong year which is true but of course i obviously would much rather see her in here than Annette Bening no nothing against Annette Bening i like her in general did not enjoy her in this film right um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's, I'm glad that Ryan Gosling got the nomination. I think that he is very memorable and he's, you know, his character has his own complex stories to portray about what it's like to grow up in a man, as a man with certain expectations when all you want to do is have more horses, you know, no, right. <laughs> and, um, I think he deserved his nom, but I, yeah, think it's a. Real travesty that Margot Robbie isn't on this list because yeah, she gave yeah. uh, such a beautiful performance. The best it would be interesting because we
1: don't ever get the data behind the voting, right? We only get mm-hmm. the the nominations. So right. did she fall short just slightly? Was it she a must neck have been neck close. Yeah, it yeah. had bit of yeah she had to have been very close. Uh, yeah. So that's dis- it's 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 a little it of it little bit of a little of the issues that Barbie is actually talking about so
0: we'll we'll see as we're recording the sag um awards are tonight uh so we'll see how she does if she gets recognition there Um, okay got it but yeah so someone who actually shane uh from our discord server he he sent in a voicemail about international films but he also had a lot to say about this category in particular so i chopped off the beginning of his voicemail for us to listen to today, and we'll listen to the rest next episode when we talk about international films. Sounds good. Here's Shane.
9: Hey, David and Alicia. Shane here. Um, what an honor to be uh, called in to talk about kind of this Oscar race we have going on here. Great year. I think the Oscars did it pretty well this year. A few snubs, of course, but I think they did a pretty good job. I think a few of the obvious snubs, Greta Lee, um, Greta Lee, Celine Song, Natalie Portman, Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie. I mean, I don't know how you dominate Barbie and Gosling and not Margot Robbie. That was kind of wild. Yeah, Just like I'm a big Past Lives fan. Huge into Past Lives. Everyone should see Past Lives. Amazing movie. <laughs> Who do I think is going to win, though? It's going to be an Oppenheimer sweep. I think they're going to win most of the awards. Um, probably almost all the ones they've been nominated for. I really do think the closest race here to watch and kind of the only true race here to to watch is between Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone, The Race of the Stones. I mean, who's I would love to see Lily Gladstone win, first indigenous um person to win, it would be a monumental win and it she just she deserves it. It's just Emma Stone just gives a career performance in poor things. I mean, Poor Things is my number 2 film of the year. I Emma Stone is unbelievable in that movie. Mm-hmm. So if she does beat Lily Gladstone, I will not be upset and vice versa. If Lily Gladstone wins, I will not be upset either because that's also well-deserved. I think that's the closest race
0: though to watch. So yeah, and then oh, cut him right. off there and we'll listen <laughs> to the rest in the next time.
1: Yeah, Emma Stone is uh, a force, isn't she? Uh, I. I really remember her performance in La La Land, and that being mm-hmm. uh, so. This
0: is so much more than that, yeah. Sure,
1: for sure. Yeah. But I, I, I just thinking back to La La Land, the whole thing yeah. with the uh, being a, lot a coffee think she server. One, yeah. Sorry,
0: a lot of people think she should not have won for that.
1: Sure, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But I just think of the uh, the inversion of going from mm-hmm. sort of uh, no name to suddenly being right. a, a named person, and uh, that uh, certain this this is cementing just more of that kinetic energy in her career and propelling yeah. her forward.
0: And she's become like, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's muse. So this oh, is, interesting. she okay. was also in the favorite. She's been in a short film of his. She's going to be, there's going to be kind of kindness or something to that effect coming out uh, next. It's going to be three interwoven stories and she's going to be uh, in that as well. And okay. I think they're even another one they're working on together. So I, I love this collaboration. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, so moving on to Best Actress in a Supporting Role, the nominees are Emily Blunt as Catherine Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks as Sophia in The Color Purple, America Ferreira as Gloria in Barbie, Jodie Foster as Bonnie Stoll in NIAD, and Devine Joy Randolph as Mary Lamb in The Holdovers. Um, so this is the only nod that The Color Purple got, which was once considered a likely Best Picture nominee. So this is the... Film. So there was the 1982 Alice Walker novel that was turned into a 1985 film and then a right. 2005 musical, right. which has now been adapted into this uh, on screen musical um, directed by Blitz Bazalloway and screenplay by Marcus Gardley. Um, you can watch it yourself on HBO Max or Video On Demand. Um, so, uh, David, did you watch the 85 film or you've how, how familiar are you with the story?
1: It was definitely. In my realm of uh, experience as a Gen Xer, and I remember it dominating uh, the popular culture. And I, to be honest, I can't remember if I've actually seen it or not because it's yeah, just sort of a, part of that <laughs> blur of, those, of of the mid '80s. Uh, but it was certainly part and partial of my uh, of my growing up. And so when it right. came, when it, when I saw it as a you know a title, I I was confused. I didn't. Again, it was not something that broke through. Uh, News wise. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand what it was, what that name was doing out uh, in, in circulation again. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for anyone who doesn't know what it's about, the story is that it's about two sisters who escape from sexual abuse at home only to land in a household where they receive more abuse. And uh, one goes missing for decades, and the other slowly, pain- painstakingly builds her own life with the help of a couple other strong women who fall into her orbit. So, this musical version, it's a lighter take um, with a, it's a fantastic and grossing story overall, but this one, it's yeah, about like the depths of human ugliness and the heights of redemption. Um, I prefer the 80, 85 film just because it goes deeper into character and plot development, but mm-hmm. this is a really nice compliment to that, you know, because they, they end up stripping back some of the scenes so they can add the musical numbers, you know, that sort of thing. So some pe- people will find this probably an easier watch. But it doesn't right. go as deep. Okay. Um, and right. yeah, definitely Danielle Brooks. If anyone deserves a nod, it's it's her. She's she's playing the role that Oprah played in the original, and Oprah's okay. a producer on this. Right. Um, it's a meaty role, and it's a character who goes through like something big that changes her personality. Um, but it's funny, Danielle Brooks. She played this role on stage, but she still had to jump through so many hoops to get this part on screen. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Fantasia Brino was also perfect in the role play by Whoopi Goldberg, who, who shows up as a cameo, uh, and she played the role in Broadway as well. And Coleman Domingo, as I said, shows up as the villain. Um, and we also get Taraji P. Henson and Hallie ba- 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 Bailey, sorry, not Barry, the little mermaid one <laughs> and a great, uh, costume and production design and music. So
8: cool. Okay.
0: So yeah, finally a category with mostly fictional characters. This one is definitely Randolph's to lose. She's just been like sweeping the awards so far. Um, Most people call her the best part of the Poldovers, but she's just, yeah, just a lot of love for her this season. And I don't
1: think I'm familiar with her, uh, her work yet. So uh, yeah, I think I need to, to check into it a little bit more, check into her a little bit more
0: another reason to watch the holdovers. <laughs> exactly.
1: And that's exactly yeah.
0: what I was thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, I was rooting for blunt coming out of Oppenheimer. So she's another strong contender. And as far as the America Ferrera back- backlash, she did more than one speech in that film. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, she
1: was the, um, in only murders in the building. Okay. No, I, I do recognize her.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. She was, that's right. The detective. Yeah, she yeah. was the detective. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Yeah, and the the big stubs in this category were Julianne Moore for May December, Sandra Hüller for uh, you know, she almost got double nominated this year, um, with Zone of Interest, and Rosamund Pike, shout out to Twitter of Time. She was in Saltburn.
1: (laughs) What was she Uh, in? Saltburn. Oh, Saltburn, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that film got a lot of a lot of buzz.
0: It's it's another one that's gonna divide opinions because of some (laughs) certain graphic scenes. I I fall on the side of loving it. (laughs) Got it. Um, Okay, so switching over to the actor side of supporting, uh, the nominees are Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction, Robert De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling in Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. Do you have any strong feelings about this category?
1: Well, it's hard because I've only seen... Uh, well, I've seen three of the of the five here, so Poor Things and, and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not too bad. Uh, I don't... I can't remember... Uh, people talking a lot about robert downey jr they say that he's in it but like i haven't heard buzz whereas ruffalo is definitely a a key cornerstone for poor things from you know the secondary media um
0: well robert downey jr like i said the central relationship ends up in oppenheimer ends up being between him and killian murphy okay so he is probably the favorite to win got it i'm rooting for ryan Gosling or mark ruffalo because i think I appreciate a good comedic performance if you can sell, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially in Ryan Gosling's case, if you can sell like the heart and the comedy. That for right. me should win you an Oscar. Oscar, and I am tired of people looking down on comedy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: fair enough. I I would trend towards Sterling K. Brown, not as a yeah fair predictor of winning, but of of where I uh, of of the films that I've seen, the performance that I enjoyed the most. I would say that Sterling K. Brown's performance was was really great, and uh, he was playing the the character he was playing. I just appreciated the, uh, the against type stuff that he was doing mm-hmm. right. As a, as a uh, gay man doctor and the way that he was playing that character and the, within this confinder and the structures of the family really uh, it, you know, it, when you learn that you're like, Oh, 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 you know, like yeah and just his performance was, um, uh, I don't know how to explain it. He just, he, he just landed that role so well and he had yeah. so much energy and, and he's a great actor. just really, really good. Yeah. Did so, you,
0: did you used to watch this Is us?
1: Uh, I don't think I did. Okay. That's,
0: I mean, yeah. that's what I know him from. I watched, I didn't watch okay. the entire show, but I watched like the first, I don't know, however many seasons until I was like, I just can't take the depression anymore. Right. Okay. <laughs> <But> <laughs> was, he's, that, yeah, was that, was so that the one paranormal. about the British
1: family? No, no. no it's an American
0: okay. family with, uh, Three three kids same age and it's about oh kind I of them growing yeah, up no, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I didn't watch it I I
1: have to say for both uh, DiCaprio and and De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon I could never get past that it was them I it was them acting
0: yeah I was I agree. watching
1: De Niro acting I wasn't I watching agree. the the character that he was inhabiting it was the and I don't know if that's a me thing, but that that's where I was at with it.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. And uh, a lot of people are upset that Ruffalo was nominated for Poor Things and Willem Dafoe was not. Uh, for I mean, what, did, what was for Dafoe? For Poor Things. For oh, poor okay. Things, He plays. And he, so Mark Ruffalo is more the comedic role and Willem Dafoe is more like the, he's the father figure in there. So he's okay. more of a roll with heart i am personally and i know others are even more upset about the charles melton snub he played the third lead along with uh, julianne moore and natalie portman in may december and he's just so like i knew him before that from riverdale you know this uh-huh. silly comic book tv show and use this is like this transformative just detailed nuanced Impressively lived in performance as this introverted man who was once known as the 13 year old seduced by a much older woman. So, yeah, if you haven't seen May December, watch it immediately after this. (laughs) 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 Uh, For me, this was tied with the Barbie woman as the most upsetting snub of the season, though others are upset about Paul Mescal, which he gave an amazing performance in All of Us Strangers, and Dominic Sessa um, as the third part, the only one of the three core characters in the holdovers who wasn't nominated. Okay. Got it.
1: All right. uh, Directing.
0: Yeah. So strong list of directors this year. Uh, The nominees are Justine Trier for Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. Yeah. Um,
1: All all Best Picture noms. So that's uh, pretty... It, it it's telling you something about all of those, or at least what yeah. the appetites of the Academy are.
0: Yeah. Especially considering, um, I mean, I think actually most of the list is not American, which it just shows that, yeah, things are getting a lot more international too. Right. Although I was so annoyed by the narrative that only, like people were talking about before the nominations, well, only one woman's going to be nominated because there are three strong contenders. There was Justine Trier, there mm-hmm. was Greta Gerwig, and there was Celine song for Past Lives. Right. And I was... I think they were all very worthy, and then oh, those people were correct. Only one got nominated, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? Um, yeah, and I just i i can't i can't go with Killers of the Flower Moon. It just wasn't um, a knockout no. hit for me. In in that, regard. I would
0: replace him with one of those other two women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay. Um, it's probably going to be Christopher Nolan. He hasn't yet gotten his directing Oscar, Oscar sure. and so yeah. like people feel like that's owed. I, I think if anyone's going to be a contender against him, it's going to be Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, but yeah, Trier is the freshest face here. She's just happy to be nominated.
1: <laughs> right, um, right. It does feel like the Oppenheimer train though is is going to run over everybody on this.
0: It's it's looking that way. It's looking yeah. that way.
1: Yeah. Cool. Should we uh, skip on to writing?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Best Adapted Screenplay. The nominees are American Fiction, written for the screen by Corey Jefferson, Barbie, written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, Oppenheimer, written for the screen by Christopher Nolan, Poor Things, sc- Screenplay by Tony McNamara, and The Zone of Interest, written by Jonathan Glazer. And so, yeah, these are, again, all Best Picture noms. Uh, three of the big four are here, and these are probably the biggest contenders for the for the prize, except... American Fiction got that uh, surprise BAFTA win. So that's putting that okay. more in the conversation again. What uh, um, what did it pick up? Uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay. Best, oh, okay. All right, mm-hmm, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Which, and yeah, so the snub in this category is Killers of the Flower Moon because not everyone thinks it adapted the book well, you know, mm-hmm. with the paring down of the FBI intrigue. Right. Uh, like I talked about talk with my father. I kept it's, hearing, a,
1: yeah. yeah, the you know, the FBI. And then I was kind of waiting for that as I was getting through the middle. And then when we got there, I was like, eh, what? It's just a, a bunch of people doing some investigation stuff. And then that's it. Right. It, it doesn't feel yeah. like, you don't really get any
0: insights into the FBI but it's, itself. It's already a three and a half hour film. And exactly. then just like at the end, Jesse exactly. Plemons, John Lithgow, and Brendan Fraser just show up for glorified cameo. I was like, what? Oh, hi. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> so you got to wonder. Because I know scratcher. he reworked the film to give more Native American representation, so sure. maybe that end up pushing out some of the FBI story. Right, right. Um,
1: But still, for you've got three and a half hours, you got a lot of storytelling time. So yeah, what are
0: you doing? Yeah, so yeah, as I said before, though my pick is four things. Um, the only controversy about that one really is that it was the movie was set in London, not Scotland and Glasgow, like the book, which is this is like an important Scottish writer to the okay. Scottish identity. I'm guessing because they didn't want to force Emma Stone and the others to try to uh, do a bad Scottish accent. That's right. my best guess. But <laughs> that yeah, was, I, that's yeah, wise. Yeah, I understand that's why people would be upset about that. Yeah, but yeah, this is Gerwig's only path to an Oscar, so will that sway voters her way? Like, what do you think about Barbie in other awards ceremonies this year? uh, Barbie is best original screenplay. Here, it's best adapted screenplay. They say because it's based on the line of dolls. What do you think about that?
1: That's weird. I I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. The 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 screenplay. It's not the intellectual property rights that are signed over. So yeah, yeah, I, I I would think. Adapted screenplay is is like a, a book or a play or something else. It's adapted yeah. from something. It's not. Yeah, the story no, is original make,
0: here. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a very
1: original story, um, and then that puts it up against you know something like American Fiction, which is a real heart but, and soul.
0: But the other, But the original screenplay categories may be even stronger, so I don't know. Right, so. okay. <laughs> Should <laughs> we talk a, about those now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I yeah. just have to shout out all of us strangers in Spider-Verse two other snubs and adapted. Okay. But in original screenplay, the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, screenplay by Justine Trier and Arthur Harari. And uh, The holdovers written by David Hemmingson, Maestro, written by Bradley Cooper and Joss Singer, Um, May-December, screenplay by Sammy Birch, story by Sammy Birch and Alex Machanek, and Past Lives, written by Celine Song. May-December is
1: one that we didn't really talk about in the previous lineup.
0: Have you heard? I mean, I, I gave a little bit of a rundown, but it's basically, it's on Netflix, about... So Natalie Portman plays an actress preparing for a biopic role by getting to know the woman she'll be p- portraying, played by Julianne Moore, who is a woman infamous for seducing a 13-year-old boy as an adult and having their first child together in jail. But that couple's still together 26 years later where this picks up. And so Natalie Portman's getting to know the whole family for better or worse. Wow. Um,
1: okay. Uh, and, yeah. I, I don't know that I would uh, run out to see this one.
0: Uh, fair. Fair enough. But it's... <laughs> it's It's done in such an interesting way. It was directed by Todd Haynes, who's best known for like Carol Far for Heaven. I'm not there. It, it's the writing was strong, but I think the acting was even stronger, but it's it okay. really gives it's it's this, you know, up close look at the the you know, what makes humans humans. It's very mm. original characters who complex people, brings all that okay. complexity. but also it's delivered in this way, like the way they do the music and stuff. They make it so dramatic like that there's that hot dog meme because they have dramatic music like we might run out of hot dogs when there's You're a right. whole <laughs> uh grill full of them and the music goes <laughs> like. so well, mary... I, yeah, go ahead paparazzi like no i yeah. say almost comical
1: well mary Kay letourneau was definitely was a, a news figure in my day so i i remember all of that happening so it's interesting that it it is being picked up the story pick up again and and that they're still together that is pretty extraordinary so yeah
0: yeah um, but yeah, over in the category overall, I, I have a question. If Barbie is adapted for being based on a line of dolls, how is any biopic sure. based on the <laughs> lives of real people not like Maestro?
1: Very good. <laughs> or or even with May December, right? That's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, again, you know, what are you what are you building off of, right? Right. And and if it's a book or something else that that exists, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. clear.
0: I don't know. That's yeah. a real head scratcher. Yeah, okay. I don't know how Maestro got here if Barbie isn't, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> My fair enough. My picks, obviously, Past Lives, followed by May, December, but Holdovers and Anatomy are probably the strongest contenders in this category. Um, okay. And like Gerwig, this is Celine Song's only shot at an Oscar since she didn't get the directing nom. Right. Um, would have liked to have seen Saltburn here, and I know other people would have liked to have seen Air and Ironclaw.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'll, I, can't, I boy, I barely remember Air. I remember Air coming out but like
0: that yeah I, it seemed like it didn't leave the, as much an impression on me
1: no and it seems so long ago so
0: yeah yeah well so that was our these were the headliner prizes any final thoughts any new insights or shifts in perspective
1: um no it just feels like the the barbie oppenheimer killers sort of uh try <laughs> uh, triad here <laughs> is, is yeah is, is really gonna push forward Past Lives has definitely got to go up high on my uh, get in and watch it. That and yeah. Oppenheimer, I've got to sort of prioritize maybe before the uh, before the Oscars. Um, but yeah, Four no, I think could the,
0: sneak in and win it all.
1: Yeah, that's true. I I think the uh, best pictures. It feels like a solid running, and uh, it's really great. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like we were saying before, it feels like movies are are finding a footing again post pandemic footing. So yeah.
0: Yeah, Especially indeed.
1: with streaming well, wars. And I, I can't help but think being a, you know, a primarily uh, television, you know, that's our central focus with the Lorehounds podcasts is is where that's our our core area. And the difference between television and movies, I think with the streaming stuff sorting itself out and what is prestige television and then the fact that um, big name actors from movies and television are moving back and forth between the the two worlds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But somehow a movie that what highlights uh, the difference between a movie and a television show is becoming clearer to me in some ways because at some point it's like, well, why don't you just make this movie? Or, why isn't this a TV show? Mm-hmm. But the, the movie is a really distinctive art form that has a... Right. Long tradition and history, and to put something in an hour and a half to two-hour movie versus a ten-episode television show or however many episodes you have, it's a very different kind of construct. And so, the storytelling and the craft of the storytelling is really important. And um, it it feels like we're, I, I'm feeling like I'm uh, uh, reinvigorated by that distinction. By by right. seeing that these works of art are really profound, that the, that the the movie story, the movie, the storytelling in a movie mm-hmm. is a valid model that's not going away right. anytime soon. No. It's not going to get eaten by streaming television. Yeah, you know, uh, and and so it's great. It's it's really great to see uh, so much creativity on the screen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, so that's uh, next time we're going to be talking about what I consider some of the most creative categories, what I'm calling the hidden gem categories. Okay. Um, so these are always, when we death race, these are my favorite categories because these are the films that I wouldn't otherwise watch, but end up showing me the most new things because, you know, the Best Picture nominees, The um, we're going to talk about what we're calling the Blockbuster nominees at the end. These are the movies that I'm watching the entire year anyway. Right, um, right. And yeah, so next time we're going to be talking about animated. Well, of course, I'm watching those anyway, but for the rest, <laughs> international documentary and shorts. Very cool. And then we'll wrap up uh, in our final third Installment about talking about cinematography, costumes, music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Okay, well, we got a lot of recording and editing to get these podcasts out <laughs> ahead of time. We got we got behind yeah. the ball a little bit. So, well,
0: the yeah, uh, the the next two are are definitely shorter episodes. This is Very the cool. big mama,
1: right? This is the big one, setting okay. the stage. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, I'll just make a couple of quick notes. If you're interested in supporting the community, because it's not just John and I. We do this as uh, on the side. We actually have a community of, of podcasters like Alicia, like Jean, like uh, Brandon, and, and Marilyn, and Anthony. And so for the Discord and all the different things that we need, all the apparatus that we need to uh, support that, um, your Patreon support goes to supporting that infrastructure. So thank you if you are a current subscriber and if you're interested in supporting the community, maybe check us out. Consider an annual subscription too. It's a pretty good value. uh, We give a nice discount on those as well. Mention to the Discord. um, Again, we have a really fun and active community. We've got some great server boosters. We've got a great little mod team channels for all the different programs that we're covering and projects that we're doing so it, it's a lot of fun if you want to nerd out and chat with people and that's and even
0: stuff you're not covering. Yes, exactly
1: <laughs> and that's open to everyone regardless of whether you're a subscriber or not. We do sponsor a couple of uh, other podcasts. Uh, Alicia, you have a podcast as well, We'll Shift Dust. I know mm-hmm. you didn't plan. The plans of the early I had year. Some, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, life and health get in the way. I lost my exactly. hearing. Exactly. For a while, uh, yeah. so got gotten that back for, for large part. So going to be kicking back off with Dune coverage, trailing the Dune film. <laughs> okay, we're still, <laughs> we're still doing the full deep dive. Yeah. All right,
1: very good. That'll add some stuff and and good good initial reviews. So hopefully that will uh, mm-hmm. uh, bring some. Bring some attention to that. Uh, Anthony over on the Properly Howard movie review, Anthony and Steve, uh, they're on a little break right now. Anthony's busy with, again, real life things. We're juggling between our lives and our passions. And we're also waiting for severance. But the hopes of severance coming out in 2024 are getting dimmer and dimmer. So we may not end up with that until uh, 2025. We'll see. But when that does come out... The four of us, Steve, Anthony, John, and I are all going to cover that week to week. So stay tuned. In terms of Lorehounds, we just wrapped up on True Detective. And I will mention Shogun. We're going to do full coverage on Shogun. And uh, we've got a uh, feedback email set up for that. And uh, we'll have a channel on the Discord that is looking really good. I think the only other thing I'll maybe mention is Masters of the Air. We'll do an end cap on that. So we did an opener and, and an ender on it. Oh, we got dates for the Acolyte and the boys as well. Right. Both of those are going to be June and overlapping. So I just hope that House of the Dragon doesn't come out at the same time. Otherwise, we're going to really be really be suffering. It's, it's going to be, be the
0: quadruple blessing stuff. Oh,
1: my. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, and then that, of course, complicates things because of family summer right. schedule. And, and,
0: and tied to stuff. the Acolyte, uh, I have... An announcement that will come out before that. So, oh, okay. Star Wars is related. Star Wars
1: related. Very good. Okay, exciting. And of course, Bad Batch is on. We'll we'll throw in some. We're going to be throwing in some mm-hmm. Bad Batch coverage as we go along. Right. Uh, quick shout out to our Discord server boosters, Opus the and the Machine. That's one person, Opus and the Machine. Gnarls, Aaron K, and Tiller the Thriller. Thank you guys so much for uh, helping the server achieve, I don't know, more emojis or something. I don't know, but it's it's a support. To our lore master subscribers, Samarshan, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Garrett C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls? And uh, good things always come to those who are last, Adrian, on our Discord. (laughs) Those last two are little inside jokes. You guys know what those are about. Thank you all so much for being Allure Masters, our our top tier subscribers, uh, and helping to keep our community active and, you know, with all the software and the things that we need to run a podcast. So we really appreciate you guys. Alicia, thanks again for doing all this work. It is a tremendous amount of passion that you have put into this project. <laughs> and so I uh, really appreciate you bringing this one forward. I think it's going to be a cool thing that our, you know, a, a good chunk of our listeners are into this kind of stuff. So thanks.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, join us on the Discord to talk about all these films. And, Absolutely. Uh, until the next time, the Hidden Gems.
8: The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning.